Tonight's final bout is for the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship, scheduled for one fall or to curfew. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. The last of the titans. In the passion and death of their struggle, the very art that had raised them to such Olympian heights was lost. Their techniques vanished. Referee giving instructions here to both principals, and this should be one whale of a match to wind up things here in Madison Square Garden. All right, fans of the Titans of Wrestling, if you're digging this show, you got to know that we've been doing them for a while. We've got an archive of shows that you're going to blow your mind. Just head on over to the Place to Be Nation to check them out. Titans of Wrestling Archives, you know you want to hear it. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Titans of Wrestling. Uh, we're back in WWF land again after the Portland episode, so thanks a lot for that, Kelly. Uh, and I'm joined on the line by Kelly. How are you doing, Kelly? <laughs> Great. Uh, as ever, lead analyst Pete. How are you doing, Pete? I guess I don't get a thank you for Portland either. That's all me. And I actually, um, I actually, you you have got me really hyped to watch that Portland stuff because you uh, you dropped five stars on a match, which is pretty much unheard of uh, from you. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't drop them off too much. Is yeah, if you want to listen to my rant on it, uh, go to our Portland archive. <laughs> but it was awesome. Um, yeah, so well, I'm really looking forward to that stuff now. I literally just stopped it there and then and thought I cannot listen on without uh, watching the footage myself. And uh, finally, of course, we have the living legend of podcasting, Johnny. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm great. I'm back from a three-and-a-half-day uh, work vacation in beautiful Tacoma, Washington. And uh, rare to go. Well, uh, we've got a lot on the docket tonight. A very exciting uh, show at the Shea Stadium. Um, and a, a, an equally exciting show, I would say, at the Philadelphia Spectrum, though. A few people talk about. Um, but before we get to that, we have uh, some news, don't we, uh, fellas? Some news. Um, what What is all this I hear about some, what is it that you call it, you young people? The Twitter? Twitter? Uh, uh, I, I guess the, the, the Twitters. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not anything if not topical uh, here at <laughs> Titans of Wrestling. And uh, so we decided... He decided for you, the listening audience, that the way to really catch the pulse of the youth, uh, as they say, uh, is through the Twitter. So uh, yours truly has set up a Twitter account. It's for you, the listeners, to give us your feedback, comments, your jokes, your ideas, uh, criticisms we won't really listen to, but you that too, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, and it's gonna, and our Twitter handle is it's at Titans O Wrestling. Uh, it's a T I T A N S O W R E S T L I N. Titans O Wrestling, and uh, I'd say it's the best I could get by fitting in how many you're allowed and stuff that's already been taken. Uh, right. And 
it's because we realize we we see that we get we we're getting a lot of you out there listening and enjoying the show, but there's nowhere for you to feedback except for the the burdensome uh, way of registering at a message board. Oh my gosh, how 1999 is that? So <laughs> I, I, I am told I am told Johnny that PWO is um, joining PWO is basically harder than breaking into Fort Knox. <laughs> People, yeah, that people, too. Yeah. People fail the Capacha test or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. Although I, I, I can never understand. I mean, I join without any problem, so I don't know what, don't know what they're talking you're, about. You're, you're a professor of art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I kind of like that. I kind of like that it's got a kind of little valve, safety valve. You know. But anyway, uh, anybody can go on Twitter, right, and follow. You follow the. Is that what you do? Follow the account. You follow the account. Uh, We'll be posting stuff up in there. We might we have some ideas maybe for some listener contests down the mm. line that we'll be uh, well, using um, that. I in fact I, I had a little bit to say about this now. So because okay. I'm because I'm so dedicated to the show, um, I spent all night last night longer <laughs> than I care to admit, like four or five four or five hours. Um, Holy shit! Making a poster right for the show, um, and I spent I poured my heart and soul into this. And um, in all honesty, uh, even though I am a man of many talents, um, it does appear that poster making is not one of them because <laughs> it's fucking atrocious. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you talked about late 1999, Johnny. This looks like it was put together by, um, you know, uh, somebody with special needs on a ZX Spectrum in the mid 80s. It just looks yeah. it looks atrocious, right? Um, so we thought, well, maybe some some of you listeners out there may be able to do better. Um, so I, we had this little idea for a poster competition, right? Um, and so here's what I've said. If you can come up with a decent poster uh, to advertise Titans of Wrestling, and that will essentially become our kind of official uh, poster, as it were, um, we, you know, if you send that to us, uh, I've, I've said here, if we receive three entrants, so if three people enter the competition, I will release my awful attempt to the public as well, which I, I, oh. I, I, I'm not going to do until we receive that because I don't want to have any unnecessary embarrassment. Uh, <laughs> and then we can open up a vote on Place to Be Nation, on PWO. You can vote over Twitter. Is that something you can do on Twitter? You can just yes. say, oh, you know, I think this post is the best. And we'll count them all up, and whoever wins uh, will then have the kudos of coming up with the official Titans of Wrestling poster. All that, right. That's, and that's the prize. Wow. Just, you know, the honor of us using your free labor to promote our show. Is... God, well, it, uh, maybe I could rustle up some, maybe I could think about rustling up some prize. You can have some footage from me or something. Can we say uh, that? You know what? I have, I have, I have, I have it. I have an unopened three disc DVD set of that, that they of uh, uh, Edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <nice>. okay. <laughs> hey, it's unopened. <laughs> I got it for five dollars in in the the bin at the uh, supermarket to give away to give away on our my old show, and no one bit. But this time. <laughs> If you do the best one, I won't send you the Edge three disc DVD set. <laughs> That's I was gonna your say prize. you could autograph it, John. 
Yeah, I could. Tis the season to But genuinely, I'll, I'll see if I can come up with an actual prize that people would want, and uh, and you can have that. So, Shit on my generosity. And, and, and just one other thing, just so we're not stereotyping, not all of us are nerds and drawing posters in the middle of the night. I went out and had 12 beers last night, so some of us are social. <laughs> But what I'm going to do is I think I think Parv's attempt was sound in concept, just not in execution. And yeah, uh, <laughs> so on uh, so on the Twitters, uh, a few certain uh, I'm going to put up a few certain guidelines. I think the idea of our pictures is good. I think the idea of pictures of certain wrestlers is good, and I'm going to put some of those out there for people to use as tools in creating their masterpieces for us. Guys, do you know how gutted I am by this? Why? I mean, you said uh, nerd Pete. I actually looked up how to. Um, do you see how uh, on it the um, the four rectangles are perfectly? Uh, you know, those four vertical lines are perfectly um, exactly one quarter of the way. I spent like half an hour looking up how to do that. <laughs> awesome. So there we go. Um, oh well. Um, so and one other I, thing about the one other thing about the Twitter. Uh, if you follow us, we'll follow you on Twitter, so you know we can have you know have some good back and forths and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Great. And uh, yes, the Twitter is happening. Follow it. <laughs> Sounds hashtag, so hip. Hashtag. Hashtag, hashtag, etc. Um, okay, shall we get into today's footage? Um, okay, because... Grandpa. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely I've, have no clue when it comes to uh, comes to Twitter. I am on uh, Facebook, however, as you know. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. Um, okay, so uh, Canary Yellow Vince uh, is um, in the front of the ring, as he tends to be, and he's hyping up uh, a particular super show that's coming up on the Shea Stadium, at the Shea Stadium. And his first guests here are Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales. Uh, Backlund, charismatic as ever here. Um, <laughs> now, was it just me, or... Did Pedro look like he'd packed on some pounds since the last time we've seen? His face is looking pretty chubby to me. Johnny, uh, his face is always chubby. Right? When you can see him with his with his shirt off here, he's uh, he's he's ripped. Uh, speaking, but I wouldn't want to see him with his shirt off because that was one pimpin suit. It was like <laughs> P- P- Pedro managed to put on a pimpin suit, and Backlund barely managed to get pants on to come out for this interview. This, Maybe not even that. It was indicative of their personalities. <laughs> Um, as background interviews go, this was not very memorable. <laughs> you know, those Samoans are awfully tough. They're they're really tough team. I know me and Pedro have been fighting a lot of really tough guys out there, so we're going to be ready for them. And Chase, now, you know, we sure are. We can really use the fans' help, too. I do have a question. I mean, I don't want to give away any spoilers for what comes up, but um, why is Bob Backlund getting himself involved in this match? I have a take on this. <laughs> is I think uh, this is going to be uh, Bruno's last match. And I think they want to try to make Bob even more popular by putting the tag straps on him. 
And, like, you know, kind of that motto when Kurt Angle first uh, broke into the WWF, they were throwing gold at him to try to get him over. I think it's just another vehicle to try, hopefully, help uh, Bob's drawing power by establishing him as officially the man. He is the whole entire company we're going to be built around right now. You know, and and also because, you know, that the main event of Shea is what it is, uh, you don't really need a title match. And it's kind of cool to have paid, uh, the, a, a past champion who's returned teaming up with the current champion against the tag champion who's been running roughshod. That's kind of like a, an all-star dream match. Yeah, yeah they, it was they, a dream team. They, yeah, they yeah. really they really are like a super team. You know, something like, like the uh, mega powers, like the mega powers, or for some of you younger fans who watch the modern product, the Rock and Sock Connection, or somebody like that. You know, or like I don't know when uh, Austin and Rock teamed up. And they're such uh, new wrestlers. Um, Do okay. we have younger fans? I didn't know uh, that, that demographic joined us yet. Well, how old is the, how old is the t- <laughs> how old is the Teen Titan who was on last time? He's like 20-something, isn't he? He's in his 20s. Yeah, so. but, he talks, but he doesn't talk about the rock and sock connection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on, because there's, there's lots of promos to get through here. Um, Campatera now, uh, with yes. Grand Wizard, uh, in uh, yet another surreal uh, promo. Patera claims, uh, he claims that um, Atlas is a mere neophyte. Um and then he says that he's Atlas's hero. He says, I'm the man, you're the boy. And then ho- in a holy shit moment, <laughs> he uh, tells him to get back to the watermelon patch and to the shoeshine stand. Johnny, I, I, I'll take it away on this. Because <laughs> you are the boy. And when I'm done with you, you're going back to the shoeshine stand, the watermelon patch or the cotton field. One of the three. <laughs> One of the three. I love this. I love racism in wrestling. <laughs> Not that I love racism. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's it's of another time, and it's like and you see people you see that kind of shit now, and they just get so upset. And they're like, "Oh, it's cheap heat." Uh, I don't believe in cheap heat. I believe in that the audience was was probably just being like, "Oh God, now we really can't." You hear shit like that, you can't wait for. Uh, Tony Atlas to kick this cracker's ass, <laughs> you know, but it's always like I can't believe they could get away with that back then. <laughs> it's, it was yeah, I, I'm with Johnny. Really I funny. love racism in in the context of wrestling. I mean, I, I <laughs> for ra- racism, but man, in the context of wrestling, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I have I have a slightly different take here, um, which is that for some reason I accepted it here in 1980. And Vince was rolling his eyes like, oh, my God. I didn't, I didn't like it in 1990, uh, you know, with where the big boys play. I right. saw the, the JYD angle in 1990. That, that seemed out of place. That seemed, that seemed like it was going for cheap heat. This just seemed like Ken Patera was a prick. I uh, think by 90, by 90, it was kind of just like, okay, we don't really need to yeah. do this anymore. But back then, yeah. so I was like, especially in WWF, it was hilarious. But, like. Right up to WrestleMania one, they had Piper, like Piper and Orndorff, like racist as fuck. Dude. I I do think this is a big distinction to draw, though. Okay, there's a difference between this promo that Patera gives here, and indeed this feud, and stuff like Colonel De Beers and AWA, or that JYD angle in 1990. And the difference is, is that those angles were basically racism angles. The, the race was a central part of it. 
this isn't about race. This whole angle isn't about racism. This is just Ken Patera no. being a racist prick. Yeah. The angle is not yeah, yeah. about the race. The race. It's about the, the two of them are just feuding, and he's using the fact that um, he's just using this as another thing to get at him, which is a you know prick thing to do. Just, yeah, and they would do that with Tony Atlas a lot in the various territories in WWF. Yeah. Uh, they, but like you get up to when Doctor D David Schultz was in uh, WWF. I remember a promo where he's yelling. Uh, where previously, Tony Atlas is with his team, and he said, "Mean Gene, it's my birthday, you know, and I'm gonna kick these their ass." And uh, Schultz comes out, he's like, "Your birthday? Let me tell you what we do to boys like you on their birthday. Where I'm from is we take them out back and whoop them." <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> All right, well, more more Atlas later, but for now, we have to put this on. Hey, well, what were you going on about neophyte, by the way? Anyone know what that means? <laughs> a mere neophyte. Do yeah, I have to... he's, he's young, like he's a newbie. He's new to the business or new to the, to the wrestling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Bruno San Martino now uh, is out uh, in the first of several promos we're going to see from him. And he says that he's happy for the opportunity of a cage match. Uh, against this Judas, this Frankenstein's monster. Shall we? Shall we hold off talking about Bruno's promos uh, until a bit later, or do you have anything to say about this particular one? He, well, I think Judas. I think Judas Frankenstein is the name of the band I'm forming next week because <laughs> that's awesome. He, he did come out with a great line here. He says that he's had more cage matches than anyone else mm. ever, which is probably true. Do you think that is true? Do you think anybody else has had any more cage? Well, it was true in New York, uh, for sure. Yeah, in New York. I'd say Ric Flair has probably thrown a lot of cage matches. Yeah. I, I, I think, in 1980, though. Weirdly, I think cage matches. Yeah. My, my mind goes to Hulk Hogan. Like, of all, like, yeah, Hogan had a lot. He had a lot of cage matches. Um, the sissy cage matches with the blue yeah, with, <laughs> yeah, with the, with the, yeah, with the blue ring climbing over. But I, I, for some reason, my mind always goes to him. Okay. Um... And there's another shill segment now. There's several shill segments all in a row here. I thought it was quite cool the way this was done. Um, and um, what happens? Uh, Larry Zabisco uh, is out. And it, just before we get to uh, Larry here, I, I did think it was interesting the way they were building this card, much like you'd build a pay-per-view today. Or um, This was very much like a pay-per-view show. Uh, and Kelly, you're going to give us a bit of history on this later on, aren't you? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it was very, it was very cool to see the, uh, the way that all of this was built. Um, so Zabisco, now he says um, <laughs> in in uh, one of the more entertaining promos uh, that we've seen, Zabisco says that the man Bruno Sammartino is held together by pins and wires. He says that Bruno is old and beaten up. I'm going to run uh, circles around him. He says, I'm not even thirty years old. I'm not even in my prime yet. I thought this was a really cool angle uh, for uh, Larry to be taking. I'm the new model. <laughs> any, any additional thoughts here, Johnny? On the... uh, I love these, the back and forth of them, because Bruno's three promos here mm. are like the, the, it's like the three faces of San Martino. It's like... It's like it's almost like sex. It starts off slow, starts building up. He explodes in the middle, and in the last one, he's still a little hot, but he's smoking a cigarette and relaxing <laughs> after it. It's, uh, yeah, that, 
And Larry's just great. He's chilling. He's all he's all Christopher Walken ash. Ask, you know, Bruno is is so good. <laughs> in fact, he looked particularly like Kevin Spacey during these promos, yeah. uh, Kelly. To your point before, yeah. um, but let, we'll get back to those in a second because these just get better and better. These promos, and I'm very excited to talk about the. the well, they're speech. awesome because they tell they tell a story. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, they, they all connect. That's you know, you know, it's awesome. Um, Hogan and Fred Blassie. Uh, I noticed that Hogan gets the 24 inch pythons line in. Uh, it's pretty early for him to be did he always say that like back when he was gold and sterling and stuff do you know the 24-ish yeah, pythons know. line I, I just i don't think there's a lot of footage of sterling golden promos floating around well I, I, wow, I have some of them in georgia of course but uh okay maybe, maybe at a later maybe at a later date we can uh, we can take a look but i was into that's the first time we, we've heard him say 24-inch uh pythons um the blassy and bright pink um, so there we go. Well, what do you think? We're gonna, go, we're gonna go knock down some telephone poles. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. Awesome. What do you think of Hogan as a promo in general around this time? He's he's sucks sucks. <laughs> yeah, he still hasn't got he hasn't quite got there, has he? Um, His voice. I thought, I, I thought he had tons of charisma, and his voice just sounded different to what we were just used to. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just that he. Sucks, or it was just one of those things we were just not used to hearing him like that. Because I thought the no, promo he, was perfectly he, fine and stuff, and but yeah, he, he had the charisma. He's doing a, a character. It doesn't come off like it's him, and it's it's the character. Yeah. He, it's yeah. he's doing it, it's it, it's the same uh, cadence he does in uh, Rocky Three as Thunderlips. <laughs> I am here. The, you know, it's like an AWA. I think he learned how to become yeah. the you know the the character we all loved. And uh, but he's like doing the like, I am the mighty Hulk Hogan. I am. He, he doesn't. He doesn't use contractions. He's like Mr. Data. It's, it's like I am not. You know. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's good for what it is, but just knowing what it's going to become is like. Yeah, he, he was following Vince's rules before Vince had the rules. No <laughs> contraction on air. Why didn't they just let Blassie talk? That was my thought. I was a bit gutsy. I'm always gutsy when Blassie's on screen and doesn't say anything. Um, <laughs> um, more shilling now. And um, now, wait for this, fellas. Larry's Abisco again. And this was an awesome, awesome yeah. promo. He says, when he signed the contract, it was a death wish. This is 1980. This isn't 1968 anymore. You're washed up. And uh, I've just written here, this might be the best promo of Larry's Abisco's career. I thought this was fucking amazing. It Johnny. was amazing. Johnny. It was great. No, it was just—it's great. I, I even think the third one here is my is my personal favorite. But uh, he's just like he goes. I'm trying to convince you and Bruno and the, these fans. You know, he's got a death wish. You know, he does. Does he know what he's getting himself in? Yeah, this was this is fan. This was really really good stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah, um, we and we did see a really awesome promo from him just when he first turned as well. Do you remember when he was still basically a babyface? That was a really yeah, good yeah. promo too. We've seen some good promos from Larry. There you go, Pete. I've uh, given him some praise. Um, wow, thanks, Barb. <laughs> but, but the now, stone can turn. The most stubborn man on the internet can change his mind. Wow. <laughs> if I could change and you could change, we could all change. 
Just look at your, just uh, was it? I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Just look at yourself and make a change. All right, uh, Bruno <laughs> Bruno Sammartino is fucking pissed now. He, yeah. he says he he is really fucking fired up, and he says he'll retire if he loses. He says I created you, and I'll destroy you. And I thought this was awesome as well. So yeah. Johnny, any further comments here? Oh, he's just so mad. He's like, he's like, he, he's like he came out and he was angry enough to start with. And then he hears this: "You're washed up. You're nothing." He's like, "I'm not. I'm not. You know, you're not the drop. Boom. <laughs> you know." That that toupee was gonna actually be a mushroom cloud, and boom! He, you know, you just he set him off. I'm, you know, I'm held together with. I'm gonna break you in half, I'll destroy you when I yeah. Oh, this the back and forth here is just. Yeah, it, this, it, it, like I said, like I said in previous shows, seeing all the pieces of this for the first time really cements it as the legendary you know, great feud of all time that you always read about. It... Well, one of the things I was going to say is that I was really worried that this um, feud had peaked too early, that we'd, that we'd seen like all the best stuff you know, as the turn happened and then it would fizzle out. But that hasn't happened at all. I mean, these, these uh, promos are amazing. Um, anyway... Yeah, that's, uh, speaking of promos... Uh... In the, in the actual cage match where they're you know they're doing commentary but they're not really doing commentary, where he fully starts talking about how no one would ever have Bruno on their top promo list, and I remember our show we talked about it where you guys all had him up there, and I said I wouldn't have him as a all time great promo, but he's so believable, and that's pretty much what Mick Foley said. So I guess he falls on on the uh, good side side of my side, my point and stuff, <laughs> which was pretty. Pretty interesting and stuff that he was actually doing the talking point uh, that we were doing a couple of shows ago. I'd, I'd have uh, Bruno top twenty promo without doubt. He, I mean, he, I have him as my top, yeah, I'd have him top twenty character, but I still don't have him as a top twenty. Promo well, uh, well, I'll tell you. Just right. outside it. I, I'll tell you why. Bruno's Bruno is so pissed off here, and he seemed like he was genuinely like there were moments where I was like, he really seems like he's pissed off by this, and. Um, we're so used to seeing like the 80s kind of shouty promo, which became like the industry standard. And so much of that is just kind of like, you know, false anger. And you can tell that it's not genuine, even, even in the 80s. Um, yeah. Whereas this was genuine fire, I thought. Uh, and you don't, I see, agree. I you, don't agree. you don't see that that often, you know. Um, and uh, it came across like a UFC promo in a way, as in a, a, like, like the stakes are real. But I, uh, I actually wondered if he genuinely touched a nerve, if Larry had genuinely pissed him off in some way. By well, you know him. what? I, I think not so much that as somewhere in Bruno. He probably wasn't really like, well, how that fucker, how dare he say that? I'm going to channel that. It's more of like, well, yeah, that's what we're going for. But even still just hearing it, that you're old and washed up. Yeah. Even though Bruno, Bruno flat out knows that he's gonna, he's quitting after this and wants to. Just... Take what Larry said, breathe it in like an actor, you know, and me- and method act off of that by tapping that into any real feelings you have about being older, you know, and uh, and let it fly, man. It was, it was great stuff. So, so there's another bit of Blasky and Hogan now. I don't think there's a lot to say about them unless you guys have any further comments. I just like the one thing Blasky does get to say as they're walking away. He just yells, "Hulk's hammer." 
Because <laughs> 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 okay. um, Bruno's back now, and as you said, Johnny, he's calmed down a little bit. He's been talking with Dominic, <laughs> which uh, which I loved. Um, and I I thought, did you mark out for that, Kelly? You've been talking no, to yeah. friend Dominic. <laughs> Dominic thought he was training too hard. <laughs> yeah, D- Dominic. That's why Dominic never made it to the top. You got to train as hard as Bruno, man. Exactly. And then in one of the rare moments when wrestling gets genuinely pathetic, uh, sorry, poetic, not pathetic. <laughs> Wait a minute. Pathetic, pathetic, pathetic in that Greek sense, I guess. Yeah, I was like, how dare you say pathetic in this promo? Uh, no, 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 no. I, was, I was just about to go, wait, wait, what? No, I guess uh, pathos. You're pathos, fired. Pathos. pathos <laughs> yeah. He says, the fall is gone and winter is here. I am uh, winter. I'm going to show you how, how heavy the, this winter is going to fall on you. Oh, and that was so awesome. You'll never see the spring. That's like move over Shakespeare. Bruno San San Martino is in the building. The bard, the Bruno, the bard. The bard. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that awesome? He's the bard of the Brutzi. (laughs) (laughs) He's. I mean, I mean, you had your poetic thing, but then you also have him talking about peaking, almost like peaking too soon, like a real athlete when you're getting ready for a marathon or, or or a prize fight. I mean, that, that shit was fucking real and awesome. Genuinely amazing. Um, and then Larry, Larry, Larry comes back. <laughs> no one cares what Dominic has to say. He's like, nobody cares about you and Dominic. <laughs> he even says it, Dominic. He calls nobody him a... cares. You and your stooges back there. Who cares? It's over. Don't you understand? I am the winter, <laughs> not you. <laughs> and, um, I, I've just had a little moment where I spazzed out my notes here, and i just written best feud ever, 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 and i just written ever down the page several times. So, uh, yeah. Isn't it the best feud ever, though? It's got to be one. It's got to be up there, this. I thought it was just so... Th- these promos going back and forth, they should just... They should make a DVD of this. Of, of just this feud, don't you think? Just, I just, agree. I think they should do the old, uh, what they did with the, those two talking about the feud, like they had Rock yeah. Cena, they had Brad Sean, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and yeah. I think they should have, uh, they should have Bruno Larry, and they should have Flair Steamboat, Flair Funk. I mean, there's so many good things they could do, you know? Let me tell you the reason that they, uh, they, they didn't follow up on that, that Flair, uh, Flair that Brett, uh, Sean one. It didn't sell well. Yeah, uh, I know. And the thing is, it's one of the best ones they've put out. It's really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a Bruno Larry one. I think one of the problems is like, well, what's going to follow it? Because you know, this is guys who didn't like each other in real life, so it's kind of hard to follow that. But yeah, Bruno yeah. Larry would be uh, would be great, especially with Bruno back in you know him them all in good graces again. Uh, what yeah. about Larry? Though? I'd buy is it. Larry still? Sorry, is Larry still basically not part of the family even to this day with uh, WWE? On the Twitter, on Bruno's Twitter, he was at some banquets with uh, with Bruno for the WWE because he's kind of like makes fun of Larry in some of the pictures. Like, oh, there's Larry eating his free food, and like right. he spells Abisco differently in the pictures and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Enough. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think, but I think Bruno has enough pool with Triple H uh, to get it done. Yeah. Uh, uh, the way they are kissing Bruno's ass right now, uh, and deservedly so. Um, uh, I guarantee you, if he can get a, a WrestleMania payout uh, for for the Hall of Fame, yeah. uh, he can get he can get Larry Zabisco uh, on on a DVD for some royalties. Yeah. No, I could maybe put it on the network, the channel, or whatever. Yeah, it'd, yeah. Be, it'd probably be better as like something on that network because honestly, yeah. who's gonna who's gonna buy it outside of us? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen like the Major League Baseball channel. They have this great piece where they're doing like top twenty all time uh, playoff games, and they'll bring in yeah. players like they brought in Mitch Williams and Joe Carter to discuss uh, the lead up to Mitch Williams giving up the big home run to Joe to Joe Carter. And Joe Carter, they go, "What were you thinking about this?" And Joe Carter's like. I wish I was able to do uh, a cartwheels around the bases. And Mitch Williams goes, if you did that, I would have walked up and punched you right in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that, I could see them doing it, like on their network, the WWE network. I think it would be that, there you go. fascinating because they have so yeah. many things they can do a show like that. 20 greatest feuds, 20 greatest wrestlers, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they, they could do a pipeline and stuff like that. And fellas... Just one more time, you guys mentioned Twitter yet again. What is it? Hashtag. Give out the handle. I want to. I want to show this. It's at Titans O Wrestling. T i t a n s o w r e s t l i n at Titans O Wrestling. Do those tweets. Do yeah. You need the house out in Hackensack. Is that all you get for your money? And it seems such a waste of time. What it's all about Mama, if that's moving up Then I'm moving out Okay, let's move on um, Because we are, we've got to the first match We're at the Shea Stadium now um, And this is um, August hey, Parv, 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 Parv yeah. I have to interrupt um, Just it's, it's, it's not the Shea Stadium It's just Shea Stadium just Shea Stadium, okay. It's just Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium. There's no the involved. That's like old people going, I'm going to look at the TV. You know, no, it's, <laughs> it's just Shea. <laughs> All right. Just Shea Stadium, and it's August 9th, August 9th right? Uh, 1980. It must be, because it was hotter. It must have been hotter than hell. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at all those shirtless men, and I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about the ones in the ring. <laughs> yeah, no, I was wondering about that. I, in fact, I've got uh, we've got a good bit on some shirtless men a bit later. Um, Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales taking on the Wild Samoans for the WF Tag Team Championships of the World, and it's Michael Cole and Mick Foley on commentary in one of the odder things I've ever seen. Uh, or, or, or heard, I guess. Um, what the hell was this about? Cole and Foley. Okay, I'll, let me explain it. Yeah. Um, on I had WWE twenty four seven for a while, and I had uh, a cable company that carried it. And what they would do is every now and then they show these classic uh, cards where there either wasn't commentary or the commentary was bad. And they'll get uh, modern guys to call it uh, kind of as a special on their show. It's almost like watching something 
with the the uh, uh, DVD with the uh, director's yeah. commentary thing. That was the that was part of the appeal of the show to watch it and have these guys reminisce, joke, kind of kind of what we're doing uh, to yeah. an extent. And so that's how. And I, I watched that this on there, and it was very enjoyable as a whole show of like, you know, mystery science theater slash history lesson, you know, like that. Now. The way we were watching it, it was a bit. Dis- it could be a bit distracting. Like you're just yeah, yeah. like, or or annoying as fuck, as I found out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying, like if, if you from the the source, like yes, if you watched yeah. it, like it, going in, it was actually kind of entertaining because Cole's not being like told what to say by Vince. Recent, okay, recently they did something a little different with the Mid South uh, DVD they released. They did the same thing with Jim Ross. Like the current Jim Ross calling some of the matches that didn't have commentary, but he is pretending that he's calling it live. There's yeah. as if he's and uh, it's great. But yeah, it's and with the Jim, Jim Ross, Ross thing, yeah, they gave him the option of either doing a reminiscing type of thing or or calling it. And he's like, I'm gonna call it. Like I've never seen this stuff before, and it uh, works. And I it think works. yeah, it works for especially for us and stuff like that. Uh, I remember when this the, the, the WWE 24/7 when this show first came because like the Larry and stuff you know it was not like it's like it was like a hidden gem type of thing and uh, everyone was so disappointed that you didn't get real commentary uh, with yes. it because it was so uh, I mean I think it's cool as an option but I would I would always would want a, a real commentary first I, I, and I think that, I think that uh, but I do think I would like to have it. I'd like to have both, so I'd have both. Probably best of both worlds. Type I, of thing. I'd, I'd have actually uh, preferred this with just the crowd. I don't mind. I don't mind watching stuff without commentary. Like I don't. Uh, I don't think there was commentary. Um, this may have been filmed. I don't know if this was filmed. I think. I think they did show some of the matches on TV, uh, like a month or so after. Um, so maybe there was uh, like Vince uh, dubbing over the commentary. But oh, one thing is for did. certain. One thing is for certain, Parv. This isn't uh, 1980. Uh, Michael Cole and Mick Foley. I think we can we can say that for certain. <laughs> no, you're so def- get your conspiracy theories out of the window already. <laughs> you see, already hear 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 it ticking in your mind. <laughs> I'm gonna show you guys where this yeah. stays. Mocking. Was Michael Cole yeah, born in 1980? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Nolan is Johnny, for Christ's sake. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But he starts out by giving a history lesson here, and then Mick Foley laughs at people wandering in, which which was quite funny, I guess. Yeah. Um, Then um, Foley calls Backlund a duck in the ring. No, that was uh, was Cole. Cole said uh, that he he, he walked like a duck. (laughs) He walked like a duck. It's a very smarky kind of commentary here. Um... Anyway, Pete, take it away on this first match. Yeah, it's, it's an okay match. Nothing mind-blowing, but with Bob and Pedro, you're hoping for, like, a blow match, but you don't get it. Uh, I like how Albano takes his shoes off uh, to start the match. Just I'm going to go footless now. Uh, shoeless, but we, which I was like, okay. We get some uh, start, start the early part. Uh, it looks like he kicks his shoes off. Because later on, when he gets carted off by 25 police officers, he's carrying <laughs> said shoes. Maybe they were, they were arresting him for littering. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> we, start, we start off with the uh, 
uh, miscommunications by the Samoans, which is fun. And hey, they do it again. Uh, Morales is like facing peril for all like a minute. He tags the Bob, and he's a house of fire, and then gets cut off. And the Samoans kind of work a nerve hold. And I'm not a big fan of nerve holds, but they actually do a pretty good job here with it because uh, it's actually good storytelling because they they work in the nerve hole to the shoulder. Then you see them do a headbutt to the shoulder. Then they stomp the shoulder, and then they post the shoulder, and then they attempt a flying headbutt to the shoulder that misses that leads to a hot tag to Morales. Back, uh, and then uh, he gets in, but then he tags back Bakla back in for the final drop. And then he tags Morales back in real quick for a roll-up uh, for the first fall. So Bob and Morales win the first fall. Um, it, was, it, was, it was what it was. I mean, it was pretty quick action. Not a whole lot of storytelling, but I thought the, the nerve holes actually it made sense. Uh, the second fall, we start off with Albano slamming Pedro on the infield, and he gets real, real dusty. Uh, the cops come out and take Lou out, uh, which was probably the highlight of the match. Uh, Cole, I mean, Mick Foley on commentary mentions Randy Mantooth, which I think the only, re- only person probably got that reference are me and Johnny. Yes. He was a TV star on Emergency, and he you know, later on became a, a big soap star. Uh, Randolph Mantooth. Oh, you think they mentioned Adam 12. Oh, Adam 12. But I always remember him on Emergency. He was... Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it, Roy DeSoto and somebody else. I had a friend who was a huge fan of this show. It was an all-action second fall. Uh, we get an attempted uh, Samoan drop uh, to Bob, but Morales does a drop kick, and Bob goes up, uh, goes on top for three counts, so the faces win two straight falls. Really, really nothing much to the match. Uh wasn't offensive or anything, so uh, I guess it's okay. Johnny? Uh, well, some of the things I liked in there is they, they cut to uh, the crowd with the two guys with the giant sign that said Captain's Corner. Yeah. You know, so there was definitely some fans of the captain. Uh, the uh, the ref with his high pants. Uh, that I noticed Pedro Morales is on the same pair of tights as from 1972 to 1986. <laughs> if not earlier. So, yeah, I mean, I, he's never changed those tights. Ever. I mean, either he's got like eight pairs of those dark orange on light orange, or uh, those were some dingy looking motherfuckers come 86. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. Uh, I love, yeah, the dust, because they're they out there on the pitcher's mound, man. So there's, you know, all the infield dust blowing around with a cool visual. Uh, I love the one guy in the NYPD taking away Lou who's just laughing his ass off at the yeah. whole fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, and, but there was the best thing in this is uh, Vince coming in <laughs> after the first fall yeah. <laughs> to announce new champions and, and Dick Kroll telling Vince, no, it's a two out of three falls match. And Vince getting noticeably mad that <laughs> he's being corrected. And uh, Foley even mentions to him because yeah. then, then Vince gets on the mic. He goes, referee Dick Kroll has just informed me that from that. Now, this is a two out of three falls. He still couldn't admit he was wrong. <laughs> that now it's a two out of three falls match. And that, he walks he, away with a scowl. He, that, that they, they both mentioned that they both had to see that scowl every day at work. <laughs> That's crazy. He, yeah. he actually, he yeah, actually so. he, I was just going to say, he did the face that he used to do at Austin. It's, yeah. the, it's the same face. <laughs> well, that's what got oh, me. He lived the gimmick. 
it got me wondering if, if, if maybe he called an audible too, because normally, you know, how often do you have a two straight falls by the baby faces to win the belts? You know, uh, that he got out there and heard the crowd chanting bullshit and called an audible. He's like, it's gonna, I, I want these belts changed now. God damn it. It's okay. <laughs> fine. It's gonna be two out of three falls. It's two, two. Fucking do it. Bring the, bring the fucking vowel. <laughs> and, and, and dick crawl. You're fire. Control. You're fire. <laughs> you yeah, you can tell. Vince. You can tell there's a lot of uh, animosity towards Vince by Foley and and Cole. How beat up they get in the in the booth nowadays and stuff. I mean, they were. Yeah. I mean, just build no well, existing brawl. It's for it. Well, it also gave you a clue as as to a lot of the side stuff that they realize Vince doesn't pay attention to. That was the but the most fun things about WWE twenty four seven was. They have shows and guys hosting, and they'd be saying stuff like, "How the fuck did Vince let that get on the air?" It's because he doesn't watch it, and they they know it, they, so they they get away with this shit. Yeah, yeah. There. And I, do, I, really I, I I always say, Joe, I always had the impression that Vince wasn't paying attention to Coliseum Home Video because there's a hell of a lot of stuff, that stuff on on all of the Coliseum videos. Really, they're really oh, like totally. really under the radar, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh. And yeah, you uh, really wanted? Do you think Vince really wanted to watch that? Mantar versus Red Rooster match. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he even knows his product was pretty shitty at times. Oh, the, but the best thing about those Coliseum videos was things like, and now the fan favorites match, Dino Bravo versus like as if anybody, as if anybody wrote in and requested. Uh, that it was like Dino Bravo takes on the Big Boss Man. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Kelly, thoughts on this match? Um, yeah, well, like we've said, you know, the commentary kind of makes watching these matches a little difficult because, yeah, they're not really calling the action and you sort of just zone out listening to the, what they're saying and not really paying. At least for me, I wasn't really hardly paying yeah. attention to what I find it really on. difficult as well, Kelly. Um, how, uh, I think the story about Vince doing the ring announcing is that Finkel was booked somewhere else or something, I remember. Has anyone read anything about that? Something like I that. Just, for some, I just assumed Vince wanted to be out there in the middle of yeah, that I, I, I think That's what you'd think, too, but I could swear I heard something or read something about Finkel being in another town for some reason, and Vince had to do the emergency ring announcing. He's definitely not that good at it. I mean, well, he, I mean, it wasn't he, his job. He, anyway. he, he looked like he was in a terrible mood. Yeah, he, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't having fun, I don't think. Um... Some of the well, it's hot, pretty hot out there, and he's wearing a damn yeah. Tie, I <laughs> bet. Yeah. The only person who could survive that is Carve, maybe. I yeah, mean, it's probably like a New York, uh, <laughs> New York summer heat wave. Or something. Hang on, why why could I survive it? I, I don't know. You're pretty stuffy. You're, you're English, man. <laughs> uh, no, he, no, he, no. He's saying, "Well, did, didn't you survive those? You know." sweltery you know, Indian summers on the back of an elephant looking for Mowgli and Baloo out in the jungle. Sneaking his hot tea on top of the elephant. <laughs> yeah, I say, I put my cardigan on. <laughs> right. Uh, I say, mate. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I'm really bad in the heat. I get very grumpy. Anyway, um... <laughs> uh, what else? Kelly, Kelly, yeah, yeah Kelly. <laughs> yeah, one of Cole's talking points right at the beginning was, uh, Bob uh, or Backlund represented the old school, and Albano represents the rock and wrestling. I heard of that too. Yeah. That, I, that's kind of a ridiculous claim. I mean, sure, that would 
makes sense to you, your regular run-of-the-mill fans, but for us, we're like, oh, no, bullshit. But, yeah, that, that didn't really make sense I, to me. I have to, um, say, I have to say, on that note as well, would you agree that um, even if Foley was saying some dubious things, Cole was basically just atrocious on it? Like, he obviously just had a set of notes and didn't have a clue about anything. Pretty, like, right. did, did you? Yeah. He obviously just did, doesn't have a clue about any of these things, does he? Well, I think. Oh, Cole, I think he, I think he has a lot more than you think he does. Really? Yeah. Did it didn't really come across on his uh, on his comments uh, right. this evening? Did I say sorry? Did I say Foley made that claim? It was Cole that that made the uh, the yeah, errors he's like, he's like, representing he's different the, errors. Well, I mean, and, and there's there's a bit of truth too. It's like just because Albano been around forever, yeah. Albano was a major cog in the rock and wrestling connection. True, but it's it felt that, like he was kind of uh, yeah, I get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, stretching it a little bit. Um, what else do we have? Yeah, oh the the camera angle. I I don't really like the camera angle they chose for for the Shea show, where all you see is grass. I mean, it's funny seeing the people mulling about and and shit, but. I don't know. They, they should have, uh, I think, set it up on the uh, opposite side so you got to see more of the crowd, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, the grass oh, thing. Let's go, let's go back to that talk. You guys don't think Captain Lou had that big of an impact on the rock and wrestling? No, well, no, it, it's just... Yeah, no, I think he did, too. It, it was just the way Cole worded it. It seemed uh, kind of... Like he shoehorned it in there, or was trying I, to force something I, in there. I don't, I don't think you okay. can. I don't think you can say that Backlund represents the old school, and Lou Albano represents like the rock and wrestling era. Yeah, considering Albano preceded Bob by about what ten years at least in, right. in New York. I mean, I, I, I understand that. But like, at I the think same time, he did. At the he, same time, he did, right. he, If he didn't meet Cindy Lauper or star in those movies, that uh, the Wise Guy movie with I think it was Cindy Lauper in that too. I think that's what uh, springboarded uh, the whole entire thing. I mean, he's he's right and wrong in a way because I think Bob does represent. He is old school. He does wear wool, wool tights yeah. and stuff. And I, mean, I think I think Captain Lou is well, that's kind of you know I think he is sports entertainment in a way. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No. I agree with Albano being a catalyst for the change, but it's just the way it was sort of shoehorned into this match. I thought just. It was forced or something. I, yeah. Well, it's it okay. sounded. It came, it came off like he was saying, "Here's old Al, here's old Bob, and here's yeah, yeah, the bringer of the young uh, Lou Albano." So uh, yeah, yeah, but and so that and that yeah, you're right. It sounded off, but I think the general point was is on is that without Lou Albano in that Cindy Lauper video, you know, it wouldn't happen. Oh, for sure. Oh, he yeah. met her on an airplane, and yeah, it yep. all led to yeah. to all that for sure. I, I, all I'll say is, uh, for any people who haven't seen that stuff, track it down. Those TNTs are amazing with Albano, and uh, it's not just it's all of that stuff. The, the Piper's Pit, mm. uh, it's classic. It's really, really, really good TV. Tell them how you were nobody when I met you, Cindy. Tell them how all women it's, are useless and belong in the kitchen, Cindy. It's just tremendous stuff. Um, yeah, I gotta plug the uh, the Coonies music video uh, with all the <laughs> yeah. WWF guys. That that thing yeah. is a classic. I love it. Especially uh, Andre in a fur diaper, which was just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Any any more any more stuff, Kelly, on this match? I. I, uh, Uh, No, that's. (laughs) There was a couple of things you guys didn't. um, Lou Albano slammed Pedro. Did you mention that, Pete? I thought that was reasonably surprising. Um, I also uh, Mick Foley ate a meatball sub at one point. 
which uh, on commentary. Did you notice that? It was a turkey something or another, but yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a turkey sub, was it? Um, something like that, with mustard. I know there was mustard involved. Yeah. I hope the God he put mustard on his meatballs, so... So, 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 so Backland and Backland and Pedro won the belts here, and they were, they were immediately stripped of them because yes. uh, because Backland was WF champ already. So, um, Arnie Scarland was he not doing his homework? Like Bob, I'm going to put you in for this match, but if you win, you won't be able to keep the belt anyway. <laughs> Why would they even sign a match? Right, that's exactly <laughs> what you know what. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because they're heroes. <laughs> and want to get the belts off of oh, oh, those Samoans and away from that douchebag Lou Albano, even if it means they'll be stripped of them and there has to be a tournament. Was there a yeah. tournament, or did they go there right back to the tournament. Samoans? I didn't know. Okay, there was a tournament, and, and, and the Samoans won it, right? <laughs> yeah, and guess who they beat in the finals of that tournament, Johnny? Uh, Tony, I would, would it, Tony Gurria and Rick Martel. Tony Gurria, no, Tony Gurria uh, and Rene Goulet. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> If, I mean, God, if, we don't get that. If I'm if I'm <laughs> if I'm Pedro though, I I would be pretty pissed at that. Like you, you, know, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know what though? I, down south, or in Memphis, or in uh, in Watts, that would have been the seed for an eventual uh, heel turn of Pedro on uh, on Backland, and have them work a program for the belt. You know, that, that that would have been a perfect seed uh, for that. Yeah. But they just didn't do that in New York all the time like that. <laughs> so, move, moving on from that. And it, I agree, Kelly, it's very difficult to get into this stuff with uh, Cole and Foley, uh, you know, messing around uh, during it. Yeah, have any of you guys uh, seen the Steamboat Blair Hour draw where they have Steamboat and uh, Stryker on just stinking up commentary for no. an hour draw? Oh God, it's awful! Oh, it's, just, it, it's such a match, and they just—they, I mean, they just, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear them talking, out, but I did, but it just ruins the match, and it's that's a great match too. It it complete. That's I mean, the one from Boogie Jam '84—is that what it was called? It, yep. Uh, yeah, I no, I still haven't seen that one. Mm, that's too bad. But I I do think it bears out the thing that you were saying a couple of shows ago, Johnny. That um. Uh, bad commentary, or, or, or was it you who were saying it, Pete? Bad commentary, or that commentary that isn't on point, can really detract from a match, even a good match. Yeah, that was, that was me. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it can help make a bad match, but it can also equally totally detract from what's going on here. Because um, I, I can imagine even watching that match, that tag match just now, and just hearing the crowd and not being distracted, I probably would have been even slightly more into it than I than I was. Um, like, like I said, though, when I sat down and watched this on WWE 24-7, it was like the whole card, pretty much. And, and it was like, you know, what you, you know what you were getting into yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, and were, I, I, I enjoyed it. No, I, and you I, were just happy to have it, because it, you'd rather have yeah. it like this, presented like this, than not getting it presented at all. You know, it's one of those type of things, too. Yeah. Things are okay with me these days. I got a good job. I got a good office. I got a new wife. Life and the family is fine. Oh, lost touch long ago. You lost weight, I did not know. You remember I looked so nice after so much time. Do you remember those days hanging out at the village green? The engineer boots, leather jackets, and tight blue jeans. Oh, you drop a dime in the box, play 
Patera now taking on Tony Atlas. Uh, Patera is with the Grand Wizard, of course. And we have, weirdly, Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. Kelly, <laughs> um, any scoop on this? Why was Monsoon there? Uh, well, this was on one of the Coliseum home video tapes. I'm not sure exactly which one. Um, and yeah, I mean, since they didn't have regular commentary, sometimes they would have Monsoon, sometimes they would have Jesse do solo commentary. If you've ever heard some of those old Coliseum tapes, um, you'll have, yeah, Jesse often doing solo commentary, which is kind of strange sounding. Um, and this was just another case of that. Um, they needed someone. They would never do um, two-man teams when they did dubbed commentary for whatever reason. They would always just do solo solo guys. So that's where this is from. Well, um, he mentions that there were over 50,000 fans in, in attendance, um, <laughs> which is a claim that we can come back to. Um, Slight exaggeration. And uh, one of the first things he does is um, criticizes... Um, uh, Kenny, as he calls him. Uh, Kenny. This, this is something that you mentioned, Johnny, that he calls him yep. Kenny consistently. Um, he criticizes Kenny and the Grand Wizard for not doing their homework um, because um, <laughs> he keeps on going after Atlas's head. Um, and then he criticizes the ref for being out of position. Um, and he, yep. well, he criticizes many people for many things. <laughs> uh, I but, love but, him. But, I love him. But Pete, Pete, uh, we're not just here to talk about commentary today. So, um, what about this match? Uh, Atlas and Patera, I thought it was an okay match. Uh, I like Patera starts off by uh, shooting him the, I'm not, it's not actually the finger, but the uh, the, the fuck you uh, arm thing uh, to Atlas. That's classy uh, stuff. Uh, Ken and the Wizard do the pre-match stuff. That's always five stars with me. Uh, we start off, we see Atlas with a nice draw, uh, drop kick. Ken is reeling. Atlas press slams Patera real easily. Like this was this was like a real test of strength. I was real impressed how quickly Atlas got uh, got Patera up. Uh, knee lift by Patera and followed with a clothesline, and they dropped an AWA elbow drop. Atlas with headbutts and splashes, more headbutts. Crowd seems really hot for this match, even though the audio they're not synchronized well. But you can actually tell, you can actually hear the crowd here and stuff. Uh, Patera tossing Atlas around. Swinging full Nelson is broken up on a rope break. Atlas with a sleeper. Atlas is stun-gunned on the rope. Atlas with a nice suplex, but doesn't hold him up. With that, with, after the press slam, he thought he'd do like one of them long vertical suplexes, but we didn't get that. Uh, Patera gets back, and he does a, does a choke hold. And then you have uh, uh, stuff, that, you know, and then Atlas with a flying... I, I I don't know what you'd call it, but a flying vertical headbutt. Like Patera standing up, and Atlas flies at him with a headbutt and stuff, uh, and puts him out. And Atlas wins by countout. Uh, Patera teases some more stuff uh, and stuff. It was, it was an okay match. Um, I thought Patera. It just seemed like they were going through the moves. There really wasn't only any like rhyme or reason to what they were doing. It seemed like two guys who were out there dancing, but in didn't have their dance all together and stuff. So uh, it was like kind of like your move, my move, I'm going to get some heat. I mean, it was just a basic wrestling match. Nothing to, uh, to track down if you're, you know, unless you're like some diehard uh, fan. But I would, I'd really like to see what something, someone like a Ric Flair could get out of Atlas cause just with the, the press slams and the way Flair sells and stuff. 
with all the Superman strength. I bet, I bet uh, we have, they, they don't have any full matches out there that I'm aware of, but I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Flair probably got better matches out of Atlas than probably anybody around. I could swear I've seen a Tony Atlas Ric Flair match from. I've seen highlights. Days. I've seen highlights, but I've never seen uh, full matches and stuff. Um, yeah, I'll come back to that in a in a second because um, uh, it does speak to something I want to talk about. But um, Johnny, what do, what were you, what do you make of this match? Oh, I thought this was fun. My my favorite little bit is I love when Atlas does like the the, the strongman kick out and where you throw the guy that Patera threw himself into the the ropes and was stuck there like a fly in a spider web. <laughs> I was like, that was, yeah. I've never seen that done. That was a yeah, that's cool. Uh, I love I love like you mentioned, uh, uh, Patera keep going to the head. You'd think a guy so full of stereotypes about black people with watermelon and shoe shines and cotton fields would be aware of the number one wrestling stereotype is, you know, hard heads. And, and, and forget that one, but you know, Patera's not the brightest bulb in the batch. Um, I love the, the guys walking up from the in the crowd who I guess either worked for Shea Stadium or worked for the Mets, whatever. And uh, I love uh, the two old Italian guys. The one guy who looked like Polly Walnuts from the fucking <laughs> Sopranos. Uh, it is muscle tea. Oh wait, guinea tea. Let's just say it. Uh, sitting back, just looking at it while the fat old uh, Italian guy next to him is just like, couldn't, just is like, why are we doing? Why are we? What are we doing here? Let's see. He's, I'm here to check out the rest. Look at it. So, hey. I got a big note about this too. What the hell? Why were they just like? There was just like several chairs set at ringside. About four, believe, four or five of them. Did they win I, that or something? Or, or maybe you have the press, the Japanese press. And some chairs, I, I think it's for people who work for Shea Stadium or and just to wander out there and take a look. Because you notice you don't see any real fans as no. we go on with the show. You you do see the two, uh, uh, the, the shirt. I, I think that maybe they might have been guys who played for the Mets, for all I know, coming out there and looking at it and laughing during Hogan yeah. Andre. And, yeah. uh, one, of them looked like Keith, one of them looked like Keith Hernandez. It did look like Keith Hernandez, yeah. I know. It was, it was crazy. Uh but, yeah, I think that was it. Just people who knew people, you know, just come out and look at this spectacle. You're talking about the old guys wearing, like, the white kind of wife beater vest. Yeah, the, yeah, wife beater. We call them guinea tees, you know. <laughs> I, I thought one of them looked a little bit like Pat Patterson. But like he did. <laughs> he, I couldn't decide whether he looked like Pat Patterson or Polly Walnuts. So I went with Polly Walnuts. Yeah, Polly. <laughs> um, yeah, they were having a jolly old time there in the sun. Um but it, so, it was, Marv, have you ever been to Shea Stadium? No, I haven't, no. Johnny? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, and I Kelly? Saw, uh, I no, Billy, no. I've seen a couple Mets games, and I saw Billy Joel at Shea Stadium. Okay, wow. I've seen, yeah, I've seen like probably about 15 Mets games uh, there and stuff. It's a fun place to see a ball game. It's a bitch to drive. It was a bitch to drive to, though. God damn. What, uh, when did you see Billy... Uh, Joel. I was in the eighties, sometime in the eighties. I don't remember what year. I was I, I was wasted. <laughs> when, when he could sell when he could sell tickets to Shea. I don't know if he has yeah. the drawing power to do that anymore. But I know yeah. he used to. I remember all I remember is liking it and being wasted and him going doing his whole shtick where he 
you know, at the end of the show, he goes, hey, everybody, don't take no shit off anybody. And I'm just thinking, yeah, Billy Joel's a fucking rebel, man. He's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Right. Uh, So, uh, Kelly. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this wasn't much of a match. These guys worked against each other a ton, though, before this. I mean, they had the... They did a feud together in the Carolinas and I think Georgia too. Yeah. Maybe some other places. This was something that yeah, they were in uh, Alabama. They worked much, Alabama together. Yeah, uh, Alabama too. Yeah. So they went all over the country together. These two guys. Um, but it wasn't given much time, really. It was just an undercard match for the Intercontinental title. You know um, that brings up. I'm sorry to interrupt. That brings up a really good point. You see, these, so these guys were married to each other all around the Horn. You'd yeah. think that when people would, so, but you go back to the racist promo, you'd probably think that the only way you'd get away with that is if you're doing it on someone who's actually your friend, who you're traveling around and working with, yeah. you know, so that, that you, you know, they maybe got, they got backstage and Tony was like, I can't believe you said that. He's like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> It'll get heat. It'll get heat. Well, uh, uh, Atlas did get on the mic after the yeah, match. Which, which popped the crowd. And I think Atlas on the mic popped the crowd more than the match. He said, forget about... Yeah. I, I can't do the Atlas accent, Johnny, but he said, forget about wrestling. Um, I'm, I'm going to, for a minute, I'm going <laughs> to whoop your ass. Forget about wrestling. Because what we're going to do <laughs> now, you get back here, I'll whoop your ass. Um, yeah, this was... Uh, so, I'll come back to... My, well, most of my notes are about uh, Monsoon. Um very haphazard cover, he mentioned, um, yeah. by, by Patera. You're never going to beat a man that way. Nothing uh, ever going to beat him. And he like said that. it basically on every single cover. Very, but he didn't pin the leg, very haphazard. So you're very critical of the pinfalls. Oh, and and um, people on PWO and elsewhere, but especially on PWO, rag on Monsoon for this. They say that, they say that he's not getting the man over. But I real I something occurred to me watching this match that I'd never that had never occurred to me before whenever I defended Monsoon. And that is that he is this criticism is getting the guy over. But it's getting the guy over who's getting pinned, not the guy who's doing the pin. Exactly. Exactly. So that line you're never gonna be Well how is he getting the guy who's getting pinned over? What's he doing but just laying there? He's, he's, uh, saying, he's, because, because, you know, he's saying, he's like, you can't beat a guy like Tony Atlas like that. That's Abs- true. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay, okay, okay. Absolutely. Now you're getting it. Okay, that the, makes sense. Thank you, Johnny. For that's, the lo- that. that's the exact logic of it. And he he says it, you know, you're never going to beat a man of the caliber of Tony Atlas with a with such a haphazard cover. So yeah, he's getting over... Th- he's getting I, over one, but then making the other one sound fucking stupid. Well, they are wrestlers. They're not fucking. You know. But I, I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's doing it though to say Patera is an idiot. But he's just saying, well, you know, in the context of this sporting contest, a cover like that's not going to do the job. You're going to have to. Oh, do I'm better. sure he's not trying to, but in the end, that's what he did. I, I'm not sure. I, I've come. I've. I'm not. I'm no longer sure that that's a valid criticism of Monsoon after watching this match. Um, wow. You see, I, I, I never, I never, I never understood that whole criticism of Monsoon because we used to make fun of him for shit like they're literally hanging from the rafters, Jess. You know, he's literally been on the shelf for six months. 
That's the <laughs> stuff we used to laugh at when Monsoon would roll our eyes at. The whole, like, you know, he should have hooked the leg. We'd look at each other and go, well, you know, he really should have hooked the leg. He's <laughs> <It's> not wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree with you there. And I think it's important to keep your announcer with credibility. So, I mean, I honestly, it doesn't bother me per se. But not to say that, but in the long run, it does kind of make the wrestler look like a dummy for not hooking the leg and stuff. Especially when you go back and watch the match and you hear Monsoon do it to you after five matches and you, you think you're learning a lesson like in Abbott or fucking up the leg. <laughs> well, they don't, watch, they don't watch their own matches, you know. They're just they're too busy to get to the next town. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but in a shooting environment, you'd be watching your matches, seeing how you can beat them. He also mentioned that the groundkeeper wouldn't be happy about the uh, what was happening. Oh, not at all. <laughs> on the pitch, yeah. On the, on the... And he's probably right there, too. You know the Shea Steam groundskeeper is like, vey, I can't believe I have to clean up after this macaque they're wrestling. <laughs> is uh, the groundskeeper Bob Backlund? <laughs> that's what, that's what you do no, I was doing a very Jewish voice there. I said that's why I included macaque, the, <laughs> the staccato Jew voice there. Um. Why didn't they put a cover on it? They usually they usually cover up the the, the field or something whenever they're in stadiums. They because uh, it was no, noticeably dusty there. Um, mm. Yes. Okay. Let's let's. Oh yeah. Before before I move on, the little point I wanted to bring up was that um, Kempatera. Now he's a man who's had quite a lot of hype on PWO in recent years. Um, Dylan has talked talked him up. Other people have talked about Kempatera as undoubtedly the worker of 1980 um, for WWF and such such and such um, and uh, I was expecting more out of this match especially as uh, you guys have noted uh, Atlas and Patera were married to each other and they've done they've worked together a lot and uh, this was very disappointing I thought um, and you, you mentioned Pete you think that Ric Flair would be able to get a good better match out of Tony Atlas um, I'm wondering about Patera, Patera the super worker. He's not really, is he? He's not really. I mean, super- hold on. I mean, I, super worker might be uh, strong, but I think he's a, he's a really good worker. His stuff on the AWA was good. I just feel bad yeah. he's he in the ring with <coughs> Crusher Blackwell. Uh, do I think Crusher Blackwell is better than Patera? Yes. Uh, I think he's, he's looked real credible with his Bob series. I thought he had good matches with Patterson. Um, yeah, Atlas. This this is just one Atlas match. I think we'll, I think we see a few more of their their work. Maybe Kelly, do we? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. But again, like I said, this match wasn't booked to to do anything. It wasn't given much time. It was. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a 20 minute match with Backlund, uh, you know, or Patterson or. It's not fair to compare it. Right. Remember, this was a card as a super card. With, yeah. As Vince as Vince wanted to let you know in the beginning, 30, count them, 30. Did I say 30? I said 30 professional wrestlers on this card. And it was all behind the one big main event. It's a showcase. It's a super card. How many times over the years have we said when you watch a lot of these super cards in stadiums with a Packed uh, with a packed lineup, and you get a little disappointed in, in it. You know, it's like how WrestleMania sometimes the match is disappointed, and then the, the pay per view the following month is better from a pure wrestling match standpoint. Mm-hmm. This was another thing in this giant card. Not it was like, hey, look at the two strong guys throw each other around. Trust me, the cage match is coming up. 
that's what this was. I don't think yeah. it's fair to judge Ken Patera on just this. Well, I, I just saw and, and especially against and one more thing, especially against uh, Tony Atlas, who does not have a reputation at all of being a good wrestler. Right, uh, but, but but he'd worked with him lots and lots of times, and he didn't look like he could get much out of yeah, him. Well, just, yeah, I, just because you work with somebody over and over and over again, seeing <laughs> uh, fluidity all the time. I mean, if you're working with a with a clunker, I mean, it's the same thing. You drive this piece of shit car over and over again. It might get you to the gas station, but it's still a piece of shit car you're driving. And that's how Patera might be when he's driving with Tony Atlas. I mean, I, Alex just might not I, be a good car. I'm just putting out there. I have to... Hey, how dare you say Tony Atlas is not a good car? That's, <laughs> no, that's my favorite. That, that should be our tagline. Wrestling, or Tony Atlas is not a good car. I'm just, I'm just putting out there that I haven't been overawed by Kenny so far. Um, okay. I mean, he's had some good matches, but... I, I, I don't think he's been stellar or anything. Um, okay, so the next uh, next match then, and then Kelly's going to give us a little history lesson after this. All right. Um, so. Well, hold on, hold on, one more part. Who would you say? Who would you so far would be your MVP of 1980 then? Um, well, it's going to be well Bruno. Yeah, Bruno. Okay. Um, basically. Um. I think you get Bruno, Larry, Bob, or Patera in 1980. Probably, well, Patera's coming fourth out of those, out of them, out of those four guys. Oh, so, 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 so far, and we're in all, we're in August now, and there's not, you know, I'm just saying. Um, you must not like his work if you are putting Bob above him, which we've known you have this illogical distaste for him and stuff. <laughs> I mean, but, 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 I mean, but Backlund has a, just a ha- Backlund's got a good habit of having lots of good matches, though. Uh, so it's a habit. Yeah, he can quit. <laughs> I know, a habit. Good He's habit. addicted to having good matches. No, it's just a habit. He could quit anytime he wants. <laughs> against yeah, Chad, Chad, against Sweet Hanson. <laughs> Chad Campbell said he liked the uh, Yanoki uh, Bob match that you despise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's no, no, not again. No, we're not talking about that. Okay. Moving on. Yes. I will speak to Chad at another time about his... That's, that's um, a shout-out. That's his partner on, uh, on, uh, on where the big boys play. Yeah. No, I mean, Chad and I don't always agree. I mean, he's, he's you know, he likes boring matches, and I don't. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a Fernando fan. I love it. <laughs> Brenda and Eddie were the popular steadies and the king and the queen of the farm. Riding around with the car top down and the radio on. Nobody looked any finer. Always more of a hit at the Parkway Diner. We never knew we could want more than that out of life. Sure, Brenda and Eddie would always know how to survive. You know that you're much too lazy And Eddie could never afford to live that kind of life Oh, but there we were waving Brenda and Eddie goodbye Oh, oh, oh Well, they got an apartment with deep park compass And a couple of paintings from Sears A big waterbed that they bought with the bread They saved for a couple of years 
Hulk Hogan now uh, taking on Andre the Giant, main main event anywhere in the universe. We said it before, and Fred Blassie on his big day here, all in gold, um, and Andre in the very 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 blue trunks. Um, and uh, I noticed at this point, Johnny, that Hogan has shaved the mushroom off. When did that happen? Um, you know the atomic mushroom? I think he only had it for that first match, didn't he? Or maybe the first few matches. It's been gone for a while. Yeah, no, it, it probably has been, but I, I just noticed that the, the atomic mushroom wasn't there this time for the first... Uh, and, um, yes, uh... Oh, it, it, Johnny, I was just saying I noticed the atomic... <laughs> I was just saying, I noticed the atomic mushroom is gone. Oh, yeah, it's flattened out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm tied into wrestling. We talk about men's uh, uh, Chester, body hair. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. We can hashtag dirty talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, when I, that's when I noticed that Hogan's mushroom cloud... Hair was gone, and he was now smooth, smooth and creamy like a baby's bottom. Ooh, yes. Yeah, he was looking fabulous indeed. And um, Pete, better than WrestleMania three? Again, I haven't watched WrestleMania three in like probably in like ten years, so uh, maybe I need to revisit it if you're going to pop this question at me. <laughs> back to back. Shows. Every time, every time I'm going to ask her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I better watch it uh, again. I'll make sure I'll put it on my plate, on my to-do list. Which was a shame because I've been watching a ton of Jerry Lawler lately, but okay. Um, epic, uh, we start off with the epic stare down, and we don't have any commentary, so no one no one sells the epic stare down. Um, we get uh, Andre with the first shot in. If this was Memphis, Lance Russell would have said, Andre with the first lick in, which I love, and Memphis, okay, uh, Hogan with a headlock, Andre, which is I thought was a really cool spot where Andre's kind of down, but now he lifts up and he actually lifts Hogan up with him while Hogan's holding on to the headlock. So that was yeah. a really neat visual spot. Um, they're doing the Clash of the Titans shoulder blocks and stuff. Uh, Andre doing a vertical surfboard to Hulk and laying in headbutts to the back. I thought he was working the back. Uh, a giant chop and headbutt and a headbutt by Andre. Hogan goes with a bear hug. Again, I didn't get the psychology in the first match we saw, and I'm not getting it here. Hulk will not win with a bear hug to Andre the Giant. Won't even wear him down. Uh, a ref bump. Uh, Hogan is still working the, uh, the, the, the back. Hogan slams Andre, which is a pretty, pretty, pretty memorable WrestleMania 3 moment right there. Um, and then Andre returns the favor. Splashes for a three with the alternative ref counting three. Really didn't have much time, but I was disappointed in this match. They have all of Shea Stadium. I'm thinking Andre the Giant. I'm thinking him slamming Hogan on top of the Shea Stadium dugout. Them throwing chairs at each other. I think they have a kick-ass. I think we have a kick-ass brawl in them. I was like, man. If it was Stan Hansen and then Andre, they would have tore up Shea Stadium. And we'd be talking about the classic match, much like the New Japan classic. It would have uh, been so much better if Andre then had picked up Mr. Met and swung him like a baseball bat and hit yeah. Hogan in the left field. Yeah. <laughs> Great. 
course, if uh, this match had happened in New Japan, Hogan would be doing Hurricane Rana's. He'd be doing. Uh, I'm just so disappointed because I think these guys have good chemistry, and Andre is a great worker, and we've seen that Hogan can be carried like by the lights of Bob Backlund, and Andre is a great worker, like similar not not similar to Bob, but they're both great workers. Where you know he could they could have a kick ass brawl, and I'm, I'm not I mean Hogan's no Stan Hansen, but I think he could carry his end of a, of a brawl even at this stage. Uh, I'd rather them go all out, just rolling through the. With thrown thrown through the the press, uh, all thirty of them on the floor and stuff. I think it would have been a much better visual than what we got. Um, now, now before I come on to you, uh, Johnny, I did want to note Ooh. that the uh, that the white that the kind of white vest brigade in the chair seemed to have gone at this no, moment. Yeah, Where did they go? They, they've gone, those guys. And they, uh, hit, they have a hit to do. And uh, instead, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> instead. Um, we get two guys now, one with a moustache and mm. one with a beard without a, without a top on. Did you see yes. these two guys? And oh, they yes. were having they were having a very nice little chat, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, was, it was, that was Keith Hernandez and Kenny Dystra. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I basically you're a little early. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I will admit that I spent most of this match, especially when that bear hug was on, uh, watching those two guys having their. Yeah. Wondering, wondering what they were talking about. <laughs> they were they, they came out to look at the giants, basically. You know, let's go. You know, they came out from the dugout. But like, you know, they probably are. They they, probably, they might have been players. Yeah, I was no, like, like were, they, were they baseball players? Were they? Well, the shirtless guy could have been. I don't know about the tall guy, but he definitely could have been a relief pitcher. You know, but I mean, it's this is pre-steroids baseball days. So yes, most assuredly, they could have been, or just guys who worked at Shea and it was hotter than hell and. But, but I, I love the fact because they were obviously making fun of it, what they were watching, <laughs> while yeah. being amazed by the size of these two motherfuckers. You could tell, but you I know, mean, but they were making fun of yeah, it. But Johnny it was obvious because they were pointing and laughing. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what, what yeah, did I think they were more impressed with like a George, uh, George Foster home run uh, for the Mets than, uh, than yeah. the wrestling. I, I did love the one point where uh, uh, the camera catches Andre and Hogan in the headlock, and Andre's calling spots. Yeah, and that's got to be frustrating as fuck if you don't know Andre. He's like, you're in the headlock. He's like, yeah, and he's like, all right, now we got the doctor in the room, and you come back with the bear hug. What? <laughs> hey, what? Maybe oh, that's well, why God. Hogan slept on the bear hug because he couldn't understand. <laughs> <Say> that again. <laughs> English. Uh, and at the end, though, that was a fast count. Fast count. Hogan kicked out, yep. man. He was out at two. And then the Hogan hammer. I guess that's the Hogan hammer. Oh, yeah. I, I, I guess, see, yeah. if you wrap if you wrap something in black, it's instantly uh, <laughs> just, I just like DiBiase's glove or uh, yeah. Iron Mike Sharp's Iron Mike uh, thing and Hogan's, you know, black yeah thing on his elbow uh the interior elbow at that and he wallops <laughs> yeah. andre with it i think they tried to hint that he put a foreign object in it but uh it was one of those invisible jerry lawler foreign objects and uh and he wallops andre in the forehead takes off the crowds boo boo and andre gets up and he's covered in blood so that was that that was cool yeah give the guy credit for doing a blade job on that weak ass hogan hammer 
<laughs> did, uh, did, did you guys read what the the, uh, the post I uh, made earlier when I pointed out that that uh, spot with the, with a hidden slash invisible foreign object is known as the Shakespeare? Have you ever come across that terminology? No. <laughs> it's known as uh, it's known as Shakespeare. That whole, you know, that whole shtick that Jerry Lawler does and Baron Sakuna. Oh yeah, 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 Gaga. Yeah, yeah it's known. Okay, as- all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on here. Please do not refrain from using Jerry Lawler's name, Baron Sakuna, as in using the same shtick. That's just yeah, blasphemy, partner. They, they did you're use. You're going to go to wrestling hell. They you're did- going to wrestling hell. They did use the same shtick though. You're going to wrestling hell right now. That's what I'm telling you. When you die, you're going to wrestling hell. In what way is it different? Uh, Jerry Lawler drew money with his, and uh, Ferris Kuklina did not. All right, okay. And Lawler's was much, (laughs) much better. I feel like I should be defending Kuklina, but I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, Kelly does bios for Ferris Kuklina, but not for Jerry Lawler. How about that? (laughs) Sakuna got like a 30-year career out of his... Yeah, that is that. He milked it for 13, 14 years. I think longer, almost 20. Has Lawler ever, like, uh, mentioned Sakuna in a book or anything? No. No? No. Probably doesn't know who he is. He doesn't (laughs) hang out with, like... A lot of guys did the hidden weapon. No, but he was famous... The Baron was famous for it, though. Yeah, so it was like... Hell, the Destroyer did it. Guys in Stampede Wrestling, uh, Cuban Assassin. I mean, there was tons when I was a kid. Yeah, but it, it was, was just thick. It was really like Baron's. Like, if you see like a two-line bio of Baron anywhere, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they'll always mention it. You know. <laughs> um, anyway, um, if, yeah, I've got the WWE. I need, you know what? I, I need to do two lines to read anything about the Baron <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I missed how Sequoia got brought up at all. He just. Yeah. And he was the master of Shakespeare. Of, oh, of Shakespeare. Okay. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, Titans of Wrestling fans, do you think that we're talking out of our ass comparing wrestling to Shakespeare? <laughs> Let us know at Twitter. That's at, at Titans O Wrestling. T I T A N S O W R E S T L I N. Titans O Wrestling at Twitter. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, this is probably the only wrestling podcast. Hosted by a Shakespeare scholar, which I am. Anyway, let's carry on. Um, that gives us all credibility. Bands don't give us wedgies. Is it Cold Cabana? Is it Cold Cabana? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Hogan, not the master of, uh, of of the foreign object, uh, clearly. Um, he, um, oh, Kelly, did you have any thoughts on this? I think these matches yeah. have been. Fucking awful, the Hogan. Uh, well, oh Hogan Andre, yeah, yeah, this one was better than the the previous encounter, I thought. Um, I loved how they picked the smallest ref in the company, probably you know <laughs> yeah. consciously to be the the ref for this because it made them look like you know Godzilla and and King Kong basically. Which explains all the Japanese at ringside. <laughs> yes, that oh, was the main yeah. event in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> now. <laughs> Did you notice the second chewing gum, chewing ref? This yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he looked a bit like Greg Garnier, like oh, but not like but <laughs> Greg Garnier. <laughs> but like Greg Garnier as a fifty-year-old, like Greg Garnier now is what he looked like. Um, Greg Garnier looked like a fifty-year-old when he was twenty. 
on you from 2013. Time traveled back to Shea and and ran in for the ref, uh, second ref spot. Uh, the the finish and was he actually and he did come and he dubbed in commentary while he was in New York. Um, the finish gets replayed or called back to in 1988 when Hogan loses the title to Andre on on the main event, right? Hogan kicking out uh, at two and Andre winning. Yeah, Continuity. I mean, I guess it was... They didn't mention it on air, though, did they, Kelly? No, of course not. (laughs) So maybe it wasn't continuity. Well, well, it was more like towards uh, the WrestleMania 3 match where, you know, it's Joey Merla kind of does hit a three count on Hogan. And then Hogan gets up. There's an even bigger bigger callback um, to... uh, to this match at WrestleMania 3. Um, in particular, the bit where Hogan slams Andre, because uh, Hogan slammed Andre during this match. Ah, <laughs> uh, good one, Park. No, yeah, but in, but in the like WrestleMania 3 one, when he slammed uh, Andre, um, it, 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 it was so devastating, it, it caused AIDS. I mean, it was... <laughs> uh, no, I think my callback is, is more accurate and more important than that one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he did slam him. He blatantly body slammed him in the middle of this match. Yeah. Andre the Giant never been slammed, never been pinned. He Actually, was, it was at the finish here. He was slammed by Hogan. Yeah, I covered that in my review. Did you? Were you not listening? <laughs> you had me on mute. <laughs> he got I, lost somewhere with Shakespeare and Cicluna and all that. Yeah. <laughs> No, he, was, I, he, was, he, was, he was coming I, up somewhere smart to compare Cicluna with Shakespeare. How <laughs> <laughs> are out there, El, uh, El, Ben and Cicluna? <laughs> no, I, um, Cicluna, I, Cicluna, wherefore are thou, Cicluna? <laughs> I just wanted to, I wanted to draw attention to the fact that Hogan slammed Andre in this very match. So um, when it happened again in the biggest moment in wrestling history. Hey. It wasn't just not true that Andre had never been slammed. He'd been slammed by Hogan, uh, which nobody really ever mentions, ever. <laughs> well, in 87, they never mentioned uh, this whole program in 1980 yeah, at all. Didn't exist. Uh, it was their first match together. Andre had never been slammed. Andre had never lost. Everything, which, um, of course, wasn't true. Uh, I mean, Andre wasn't... I don't know if he'd ever been pinned before. Maybe... Way, way back when he first started, but yeah. he'd lost matches by DQ, he'd lost matches by Countout and such. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, these these have been very disappointing, though. Um, very disappointing indeed. And um, I, initially, so far, I think. Which one do you like better, WrestleMania 3 than these two so far? <laughs> well, I'll I tell you what, Pete. When, the, tell me when you rewatch it, and I'll rewatch it with you. How about that? We'll hook okay. up. We'll hook, we'll hook up over Skype and do it together. All right. I tell you what, okay, WrestleMania we'll three. <laughs> WrestleMania three has the atmosphere, and it has uh, Bobby Heenan at ringside, just being a fucking uh, the mm. glue that holds it together. So, <laughs> yeah, I, at the moment, I'm taking WrestleMania three over any of this stuff because I, I've just, I've, gen- I've actually been disappointed by Andre too. Like, I mean, you, I think you were, you, uh, you were right. Um, earlier on when you said, you know, 
if they'd have like worked this as a brawl or something. They basically had this match and just stood around. Like they did, they worked really boring holds. Um, well, it's because the, the sales point was like, you know, they don't have to. It's like, hey, look how big these fuckers are. <laughs> and basically, that was it. It's like, look at the two giant men. And th- yeah. that was the selling point. Really, I mean, as unexciting as that is, that's what it was about. I'd, yeah. I, I'd rather that Hogan would have uh, should have bumped around a bit rather than being so static in this match. And uh, Andre should, like... I think on- Andre can phone in matches... And just not care, and I think that this was just a funded match where he didn't care. So he cared enough to gig himself at the end. So yeah, well, that's true. That's true. He did. Uh, he did uh, do a little bit of a, a blade job here. And then they're building him up as the two giants, so it is hard. For, I mean, I, I understand. It's hard for Hogan to bump around for Andre if he's supposed to be his peer per se. Yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I, I I actually do question the wisdom of putting a Hogan in this match as well. Um, they always do that in wrestling, and I don't think they should. Like they always put like, the let's put the one man in the world taller than Hulk Hogan in the in a ring with him, so so that he doesn't. Well, look it didn't big. matter then. Hogan was the heel, so. Uh, Hogan, uh, Hogan, Hogan was the heel going I'm the real giant because I'm a regular guy he's a freak with a disease that makes him that way and I'm a regular you know so he's a he's a heel it works that way I, I kind of see where I kind of see where Parv's saying though because that's why I think like WCW like killed their cruiserweight division along along with some booking mistakes but by not keeping them separate like I would have kept the cruiserweights just working with cruiserweights well, Unless you well, have to break out one like a Rey Mysterio, then if you want to push him up the up the thing out of the cruiserweight division, then yeah, it's fine. Well, you, you know, it brings up the, the the idea brings up that criticism, which was a mistake, is, uh, and it was already at the end. But when when WCW grabbed Mike Awesome uh, from ECW when he was still the champ, and the first program they put him in. Was with Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash, yeah, yeah. And, and taller than you know, <laughs> it, it's his debut. His debut was like, oh my god, that's Mike Awesome, the ECW champ on Nitro, and he's attacking Kevin Nash. And it, now it, they, they do it all the time. I mean, in the nineteen in the nineteen ninety stuff I've been watching, they've got Sid back from injury. Who do they put him with? El Gigante. It's like <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. The, the one man in the company don't put Sid with is El. For numerous reasons, don't put him with him. Uh, you know. But I think it works, it works for the, the Hogan-Andre dynamic here is that Hogan's like, yeah, look at the size of me. I'm normal. You're a freak. They're, 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 and so it works because you have that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and, and heels lie. That's the greatest thing about wrestling is you have heels who just tell the most bald-faced lies that you know aren't true. But it's... Well, he... He believes it, <laughs> or maybe he doesn't, whatever. How such understanding How the words are spoken How to
now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Kelly Nelson is going to give us a history of stadium wrestling in the United States in the 1970s. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. History is sort of my uh, thing, so maybe this will be a, a regular spot. I'll dig up some facts, balance out the, the laughs with some, some serious history. Um, basically... <laughs> okay, that didn't work too well. Basically... <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd look at sort of because the Shea Show 1980, you know, back in at this time, if you you know knew you had a hot program that you know you didn't want to be you know limited by only selling 20,000 seats at MSG or at the Spectrum, right? You wanted to um, you know expand that audience. This was before pay per view, so the next logical step was to to go to the big stadiums. And in the States, that was, you know, the baseball stadiums or the football stadiums. Um, often, uh, the, uh, at this time, they were the served for both uh, football and baseball. Mm -hmm. Shea Stadium, actually, was the Mets, as we've mentioned, the baseball team. But also, at this time, the New York Jets played in Shea Stadium. Uh, up until, I think, about 1984, they did. Um, so that would give you the chance to draw, you know, 30,000, uh, maybe even 40,000. And the way I see it, sort of the outdoor shows, it's kind of almost a throwback to, you know, the origins of wrestling as a sport in ancient Greece, maybe, or the Romans in the Colosseum, right, going back to the roots. Um, even, you know, uh, in the 20th century, you have uh, two famous matches uh, right at the beginning of the century, uh, Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt. Uh, two of the probably the most famous wrestlers at that time wrestled in Chicago. Um, the first one was in 1908 at a place called the Dexter Park Pavilion, and that drew 28,000. And then in 1911 at Comiskey Park, and Comiskey Park, a uh, legendary baseball uh, stadium, and would become, as we'll see, like a legendary um, wrestling venue. In 1911, Gotch and Hackenschmidt drew 28,757 people which at the time was the record for wrestling attendance, and it would stand for quite a while. Uh, in the 1930s, we had like a boom period in wrestling. You know, every 20 years or so, wrestling seems to boom again. And the Great Depression, they ran a lot of shows in baseball parks, actually. Fenway Park in Boston, Wrigley Field in Chicago, uh, where the Cubs played, Chicago Cubs played, Yankee Stadium in New York, of course. And in 1934... Jim Londos and Ed Strangler Lewis drew 35,000 to Wrigley Field for a match. So that eclipsed the Gotch Hackenschmidt match. And staying in Chicago, sort of, which was, um, in 1980, this match coming up was sort of still the standard bearer for attendance. Uh, Comiskey Park again, 1961, the original Nature Boy Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor, NWA yeah. title match. Yeah, legendary. Great match, too. That yeah, great match. Not seen it yet. No, it is for sure. Best two out of three falls. It's out there. It's on DVDs. It's it's pretty um, easily accessible. Of all the matches I've mentioned so far, this is will be the only one um, that you can find footage of, I believe. Um, they drew thirty eight thousand six hundred twenty two to Comiskey Park. So that was basically. There's some dispute over you know did cards, uh, did shows draw more than that, um, but. If, Seems like that's the only one that's that's very you know you can uh, verify that number. So for years the record was that 1961 
Sean Comiskey, Rodgers, and O'Connor, 38,622. Um, back in going into the 1970s, so in the early 70s, we kind of hit another boom period. Um, it's often attributed to uh, the rise of UHF stations. And Johnny just mentioned, um, uh, or actually, I don't know if he mentioned that during the recording part or when we were chatting. But anyway, having a UHF uh, channel, and basically that allowed for more wrestling to be on TV. Oh, so yeah. in the early 70s, yeah, you had um, another boom period. This was at the time when Dory Funk Jr. was NWA champion. Jack Briscoe, that program was going on. Basically, all the territories were kind of firing on all cylinders at the in the early 70s. And um, a famous show, I, we mentioned it a few shows ago when we were talking about Freddie Blassie, was in 1971 at the L.A. Coliseum, uh, headlined by the Blassie-Tolos cage match. That drew 25,781. Um, here's one that's totally forgotten in history. 1972 at Texas Stadium in Dallas, or outside of Dallas, um, for what was the Parade of Champions. Even then, that's what he was billed as. Without uh, a dead fun, Eric. Yeah, no, and the funnier, <laughs> we're all still living, except for, I guess, the very youngest son had died, but that was in, like, 1959 or something like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, so it wasn't the Jack Von Eric parade. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was the happy parade of champions. Okay. Uh, summer of 72, um, main event was Dory Funk Jr. versus Fritz Von Eric for the NWA title, and it drew 26,339. Uh, pretty big number for this era. And even bigger, and also pretty obscure, 1973 in Montreal, uh, Jerry Park, where the Montreal Expos baseball team played, uh, Mad Dog Vachon versus Killer Kowalski drew 29,127, um, bigger than uh, the two previous uh, cards I mentioned. Um, that feud is interesting. I've read the uh, the Mad Dog's Midgets and Screwjobs book, as well as the, uh, the recent Mad Dog Vachon bio. And the whole basis of the feud was basically it, it built upon um, the legend of, of Killer Kowalski uh, ripping off the year of Yukon Eric. I'm sure we've all heard of this in the early 1950s. And that was in Montreal. And uh, in real life, Yukon Eric committed suicide in the mid 60s. And so playing into this feud with Mad Dog and, and Kowalski, they brought up the history. Hold on, Kelly. Did he yeah. commit suicide because he had one ear? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. <laughs> it finally got to him a dozen years later that he lost that year. Sorry. Don't me. Poor Mick Foley. I mean, what, what, are we going to be on Death Watch on Mick Foley now? Jeez. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say. It could yeah. be any day. <laughs> well, you know what? You either grab a hold of it and make a career out of it, or you, you eat a shotgun. You know, that's... That's what happens with, with ear loss. <laughs> yeah, it's been way past six years. So I guess we're good on Foley and good old Mick. Yeah. And Evander Holyfield as well, of course. Yeah, that too. Anyway, uh, anyway yeah, the the feud was so they when they were building this feud, they would do interviews talking about you know about the uh, the Eric Yukon Eric incident and him committing suicide. And and Mad Dog in a promo leading up to this match with Kowalski said, "If I don't win, I'm going to kill myself." Basically, that was the draw to the match. <laughs> Jesus and then, Christ. <laughs> the headline in the Montreal paper the next day was, Mad Dog wins, will not kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm paraphrasing it, but, but basically that, that's the gist of it. Oh, it, yeah. my God. I know, you could never 
field a, a, a match like that nowadays. But no, especially it works. I've done it in the ring. I've done it in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean nowadays? How the fuck did they do it in 1973? <laughs> fuck! Dude, you know what? Because really? everywhere, things were like... I was right in the midst of everyone just being lightened up about everything, and there was so much crazy shit going on in the world that was terrible that, you know, that's just wrestling. It's the shit on UHF, and it's ridiculous, and, you know, and sure enough, you know, who gives a shit? Yeah, no. no I mean, people weren't offended by anything back then. No, no, that's true. It's it's a, such a great long lost time. Um, <laughs> Vietnam <laughs> just ended. That was offensive. <laughs> you know, like, Who yeah. Gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, I know. Mad Dog making boasts of suicide was pretty low in, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things at that time. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on to the... If I don't win this match, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) Or as we call it now, the the, the renegade match. (laughs) Too soon? Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Uh, I guess he lost that match. (laughs) He did. Uh, (laughs) God. Anyway, to to happier subjects, uh, let's see. The AWA in the 70s, so the 70s is kind of looked at, I guess... It was like the golden age of the, the stadium show, because it seemed like they happened quite often then. The AWA ran a bunch of shows in Comiskey Park uh, in the 70s, because Chicago was one of their main towns. Um, back to Mad Dog Vachon again, 1970, him and his brother uh, Butcher Vachon against Bruiser and Crusher uh, in a cage, drew 21,000 to Comiskey Park. Uh, Mad Dog's quite the uh, underrated drawing card, I would say. Um, he yeah, had I just picked up that uh, Mad Dog set. That's out there, man. Really awesome job by uh, by the creator. Yes, yes, I, I'm I'm pretty interested in that now myself. Um, yeah, 1974 at Comiskey Park was Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson that drew 22,000. Um, 1976 was uh, Blackjack Lanza and Bobby Duncan, uh, who we saw quite a bit of recently, versus the Bruiser and the Crusher in a cage match. And also on the undercard of that one, the 76 card, uh, Nick Bockwinkle against Andre the Giant for the AWA title, which uh, I'm thinking, I mean, Andre didn't have too many uh, title matches back in the day. That's got to be a rare one. I'd love to see that. That doesn't exist on footage. uh, No, none of these ones that I'm rattling off, um, unfortunately. I'd love love to see that Bockwinkle-Andre match. Yeah, yeah. But that show only drew 15,000, so sort of diminishing returns. They ran a show this uh, in 1980, same year as Shea, uh, Gagne versus Bockwinkle. That match is, is definitely out there. Um, but that show only drew 12,000. Um, they I've even seen, ran I've a show. I've seen, I've seen that match. Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that, is that Vern's retirement match where he wins yes. the belt? Yeah, that yes. sucks. Yes. That match sucks. Yeah, it's not a good match. It does, yeah. From 1980, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Vern should have retired. Yeah, well, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one only drew 12,000. So, yeah, as we see, diminishing returns for the AWA. Yeah, they actually de- did a show at Soldier Field in Chicago, which was uh, the Chicago Bears stadium, football stadium. in Yeah. Gagne versus Ivan Koloff was the main event of that show. That, it only drew 12,000. Um, so it was a risky proposition, because if you look at some of these numbers, they could have probably drew... At least the same amount or more, just running in a in their regular arena, um, 
and they, they would have had to pay probably more to run at the big stadium. So it was a risk they were taking that didn't pay off uh, quite often. Mm. Um, some of the really, like, uh, we'll go, yeah, let's say the bad when it comes to stadium shows, um, I found this one is probably the standard bearer. Uh, the, the NWF, they were uh, a territory, Cleveland and Buffalo. Buffalo, uh, yeah. Yeah, not often looked at as, as one of the more memorable places. But in 1972, they did a show at, in Cleveland at Municipal Stadium. And if you know something about Cleveland's history and then the, the baseball team, the Indians, they played it, and while the Browns played there too. Uh, the Municipal Stadium was known as the Mistake by the Lake. It was this <laughs> giant, cavernous stadium. <laughs> or an awesome name, the Mistake yeah. by the Lake. <laughs> yeah, because it was by, what is it, Lake uh, Ligiri or Lake Superior? I'm not sure. Eerie, I think. Eerie, I think, yeah. It could hold 80,000 people, but like for the the Indians were a horrible team in the 60s and 70s and in the 80s, too, and you would see highlights from those games and there'd be nobody in the stands. Basically, this card that the NWF ran was uh, billed as the Super Bowl of Wrestling, and um, it drew hardly anybody. I can remember in the after mags they, they did an article on this uh, in one of the annuals where they would reprint old articles. And I remember seeing pictures from this show, and all you could just see was, like, swaths of empty seats everywhere. And even as a kid, I was wondering, I was like, why was nobody at this show? They're having a wrestling show with nobody attending. I didn't get it. And apparently, yeah, it bombed huge, this card. And it's often blamed as, as uh, one of the things that killed that territory. Was this disaster? Uh, headline it, you know. Uh, it was. Uh, Tom No, it was Jim Powers. <laughs> yeah, Jim Powers was the star of the territory against um, Johnny Valentine. Actually, oh. yeah, and um, they, it, it looked like it was a card with like triple main event sort of thing. There was um, Abdul the Butcher in a big match. Ernie Ladd. Yeah, there was a lot of big names, but. For whatever reason, it, it just bombed. Was that NWF promotion an outlaw promotion, or was it an NWA affiliate? Do you know? It was outlaw. It was yeah, outlaw, outlaw, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And actually, Antonio Inoki would eventually basically buy their title. Uh, title, the, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and bring it over to Japan after the the territory died, and use it as the New Japan, the main title in New Japan for years and years. Wow. Uh, um. And then another card billed as the Super Bowl of Wrestling was later, and I mentioned this one uh, several episodes ago, at the Orange Bowl in um, in Miami, oh, uh, yeah. January 25th, 1978, for the, the big unification match, NWA versus WWWF title, um, uh, Harley Race versus superstar Billy Graham. And this was a disappointment, too, because it only drew 12,000. Um, but it was raining most of the day. And I think that killed a lot of the walk-up attendance. Yeah, in, in January, which, yeah, I'm not sure of the weather patterns at that time of year. Probably. It's still warm, but. Yeah, it could have been just a freak thing. But anyway, it, it yeah, 12,000 for a match with a unification match has got to be considered a disappointment. And then um, the Shea, uh, Shea Stadium, this is uh, the 1981 we're looking at. It's actually the third one that uh, the WWF ran at Shea. The first was in 1972. Uh, big match, dream match. 
Bruno Zamartino versus Pedro Morales when Pedro was the world champion, or the champion, I should say, not world, um, WWF champion, WWF champion. Um, the, the Both of them were baby faces at the time, right? It, rare for the um, for New York to ever run a baby face versus baby face main event in that era. Rare for, really rare for anybody, too, though, so. Yeah. Uh, really, really. Well, Everyone always gave I mean, WWF that, like, oh, they don't do that often. Well, who did? Well, that's <laughs> true. But, I mean, Briscoe versus Dory Funk was kind of babyface versus babyface. Show off. Yeah. Yeah, Gagne and Billy Robinson, wasn't that? I, I think of? Robinson worked de facto heel a lot. Yeah, but he was... De, I fa- know, de facto heel, though, only. Yeah, most of the footage of Robinson I've seen in AWA, he was definitely a babyface, though. Um, anyway, yeah, Bruno and Pedro... No, go ahead, Pete. I think, well, I don't know, about, yeah, towards the end of his career in the AWA, he was a face, because he was just like the the elder elder gent, gentleman type, you know, the, yeah. you know, mm. and stuff. But yeah, I think he was a heel he, earlier, and he, he actually, I, I still think, I think Dory and Jack flip-flopped a lot. I think Dory was mostly heel when he was working with Jack and stuff. Yeah, the subtle heel. Like, Robinson crops yeah. up as a, as a ref quite a lot in his later days. Like but of, you know though, but Robinson managed Kamala as a heel in uh, AWA. Did he? I believe so. Nope. He didn't dress up as uh, what's his name? Did he? Kimchi <laughs> 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 uh, or Friday? I always prefer yeah. Friday. Uh, <laughs> Billy G. <laughs> Billy G. <laughs> That's what he was. Anyway, yeah. So the seventy-two Shay show drew twenty-two thousand. So just slightly more than what they could have uh, drew in MSG at that same time, or right around the same number. And then um, they ran a 75-minute draw, curfew draw between the two? Yeah. Well, Apparently it was only speaker. only 65 minutes <laughs> in oh. reality. But they, they billed it as 75 minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah like, like, I don't know. Noticed, like anyone noticed, you know, their, you know, Green Lantern fan was not there. With his time card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just... I can't, I can't ima- actually imagine what Bruno would do in a 65-minute match. Or Pedro. Yeah, they're, they're, that's... Yeah, they're both limited workers. They're, they're good in, in their roles, but they're limited. But uh, I, 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 I'm sure they eventually got to the point where tempers flew and they got to actually like throw some fists and shit. But you know for yeah. the majority of this was headlocks. Yeah. yeah. The build-up. Yeah. The build-up to this ma- that match, if you've ever read it, was kind of fun, because they were teaming, Bruno and Pedro, and they went against um, Mr. Fuji and, and Professor Tortanaka on TV. And in the match, I think it was Bruno got salt in the eyes. It could have been Pedro. It really doesn't matter. And so one of them was blinded, and they started, you know, throwing wild fists. And, of course, you know, Bruno slugged Pedro, you know, and then this led to a misunderstanding, um, and that led to the match, basically. It was just because um, one of them had been blinded and, and started... Which, which once again, proves that wrestlers don't watch the television. I know! Why'd you hit me? He threw salt in my eyes. I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> oh, how do I know that? Well, let's watch the video tape. No, we gotta have a Oh, you're right, okay. Well, well, how do I know that? It's because I'm facing Mr. Fuji. Yeah. That's what Mr. Fuji always does. That's what he always does. <laughs> oh, here, look, no, no, here. Vince, can I get the tape? See? It's my fault. Oh, you're right. 
No big main event for Shea Stadium. Well, we'll have to cancel that dream card. Oh, well. <laughs> Can you imagine them announcing that on TV? Uh, they decided not to fight because they saw the, the footage, so we're not going to have that match. <laughs> Too bad. I mean, that goes on to this day. It's one of those wrestling yeah. logics. Yeah, yeah. wrestling just... logics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you suspend your disbelief for that. Um, the next time they went, they held a card at Shea was 76, and this was a big one. They drew 32,000. Um, the live main event was uh, San Martino versus Stan Hansen, which was... The revenge match at that time, you know, the previous time they'd wrestled each other at MSG two or three months, probably about three months earlier, was the famous match where uh, Hansen accidentally dropped Bruno on his head, legit broke his neck, um, Bruno's on the shelf. Um, The story is basically, this match wasn't planned to happen at Shea. Um, This was going to be, and it still was when they had the card, um, Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki from Japan was going to be shown on closed circuit. The main event for the live card was supposed to be Andre the Giant versus Chuck Wepner, a boxer, in a boxer versus wrestler match. And apparently the, the advanced ticket sales going into this were so weak that, or at least this is how Meltzer tells it, and it's probably embellished, that Vince Sr. Ba- basically begged Bruno to, to come back early so they could have a revenge match Um to throw onto the card to save the show, uh, basically is the story. And they ended up the thirty-two thousand was was um, the biggest um, draw in wrestling since the Rogers O'Connor uh, match fifteen years previously. Um, no footage. Oh, actually, no. Andre Weppner does exist. I've yeah, seen I've seen at that. least clips of it. I don't believe the Bruno Hansen match exists anywhere. I've never. Um, I could swear I've seen at least the ending of it, where it ends with with Hansen running away. Maybe that because I know it's it's often brought up as something that people are looking for and they can never find it. I could swear, man, that I've seen that and said that and, and, and said to myself, "That's how it ended." Because that is the finish. Hansen runs off. Yeah. Yeah. It's the blow-off between the next month. I can swear I've seen that somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Not the whole match. That finish. Just the finish. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then 1980, this this show, August 9th, the show down at Shea that we're watching, actually, this whole week in the the world of wrestling was stacked with supercards. August 2nd, I mentioned this on the Portland show. At the Superdome, for Watts, was the famous JYD versus Michael Hayes uh, cage uh, dog collar match uh, that drew 30,000. Which which, uh, which Michael Hayes, of course, uh, given that he's commentating on um, the Clash uh, Clash 6, never fails to bring, bring up uh, constantly during that show. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's the all-time record there, and there's like... 5,000 people sitting there. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he have to say that they uh, they beat the record that night, even though it's they were nowhere near it? Oh, it's so obvious that they were nowhere near it as well. <laughs> no, I think it was actually less than 1,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. It was an embarrassing no. low number for that show. No, it was like, no, like 5,300 or something. It's oh, not. Yeah. There's 5,000 5, people there, but in a like 20,000 plus seat set of 30,000 plus seat stadium. So, oh, you could, uh, Superdome could get probably 80,000. Oh, oh. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I, it, it'll never, let's not get into that again because I start getting angry. 
<laughs> anyway, so that was August 2nd. August 3rd, the next day in Tampa, was a card uh, uh, ran by the by Championship Wrestling from Florida, billed as the last tangle in Tampa. Oh, um, yeah. At Tampa Stadium, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, used to play. Um, the main event was uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Harley Race, NWA title, with Fritz von Erich as the ref, and it went a uh, 60-minute draw. <laughs> uh, so another unsatisfying finish for the era. Uh, and that showed you 17,833. So, uh, if you're running, like I said before, in a stadium, you better draw at least 20, 25,000 to make it worth your while, I think. Um, the show we're watching today drew 36,295. So, just a couple thousand shy of the Rogers O'Connor, um, Comiskey Park 1961 match. So, this was, the biggest success in, in WWF history to this point in time was this show. And uh, there you go. I hope that was interesting. I know we laughed a lot, uh, cried a lot, and uh, <laughs> now we're back to looking at the matches. Um, hey, real quick, did, have, any of you guys, have any of you guys been to Stadium Show? Yeah. Um, no. I went to WrestleMania. I went to WrestleMania 17. Oh, wow. Pastor, don't. Yeah. WrestleMania 17 is an amazing show to have been, have gone to, Pete. Yeah, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, I mean, it was a huge, huge, I mean, it was, I mean, I was like, yeah, I thought I had seats, but you did, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 Pete, let me get this. You, you were at WrestleMania 17 and you saw, uh, Steamboat versus Flair live? Yeah, I lived in Chicago. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, my I, I, my dad. I, I, I was. Deal was <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. Man. Okay, okay. Well, the deal was with the Chicago thing. My dad uh, was on business in Chicago, and well, we were still living in Houston at the time. But he was kind enough to take me because I was going to help him do some stuff, and he bought me a ticket and dropped me off at the uh, Chicago show. Oh, that's cool. That's cool, man. Yeah, and then the uh, Astrodome show with some friends. Because I was in, uh, what year was that? 89? Um, or or, or no, you're uh, talking about the WrestleMania 17? Uh, 2000. 2001. 2001. Yeah, I was, I was living in Austin, so I went down there and uh, <laughs> went with a couple of buddies on a roadie and uh, went down there for the for the day and then stayed at my parents and drove back the next day. Um, I, I, I was at the uh, Great American Bash kickoff show at Veterans Stadium. Oh, that's oh wow. Uh, in '87, that was a that was a blast. That was had the the double the main event was uh, Ric Flair versus Road Warrior Hawk uh, for the title, and uh, then the cage Dusty and Animal versus the Andersons. Wow! But also, and and match number one of the best of seven series between Magnum T A right. and Nikita Koloff. Nikita, uh, yeah, that was like, oh, that was so the much one fun. where um, Wahoo got the blade stuck in his yes forehead. yes Wahoo got yep yep. Or why who got the blade stuck in his head? There's juice in every match. That the commission <laughs> was going to shut everything down. Uh, me and uh, my buddy bought Nikita Koloff T-shirts, and uh, we're wearing them. <laughs> and we're walking, and this and this little fat kid who was dressed up like one of the Road Warriors gets right in our path and looks at us, and we're looking at him, and he goes. And, and flexes and sticks <laughs> and, run, and runs away. Hold, hold, and, hold, and, hold, 
Hold on, uh, Johnny. Um, Nikita was still a, a heel at this point, right? Yeah. They were they were selling commie Nikita Koloff. Oh t-shirts. yeah, well, it's because because there was a there was a core group of people who liked Nikita because Nikita was awesome. Uh, and it was a yellow shirt. It was a yellow shirt with a picture of Nikita on the front going like, yeah, and the back end of the Russian sickle. Oh yeah. And we wore them with pride. They were were fucking awesome. I take it they weren't selling Ivan Koloff t-shirts. No, just Nikita. (laughs) Yeah, just Nikita. No Ivans. Uh, no, that was funny. It was was, was a a little bit later, uh, because they were doing some country music show before it and we found the back area of the stadium we're down there and there's i got david crockett's autograph he's hanging out there uh and we look over because the whole gimmick of that tour was like rick flair is going to go everywhere and defend against everybody you know within our federation so me and my buddy go hey man when you go to Memphis, you get to defend against lawler is he going to defend against lawler david and david just looks up and was like shut up and uh and then Magnum <laughs> T.A. walks out. Magnum T.A. walks out. This is the greatest thing. And we're like, oh, it's Magnum. Look, it's Magnum. Now, he's like checking shit out. He turns around. We're all like, hey, Magnum. Hey, Magnum. He turns around to see not just me and my friend, but about 10 other guys in Nikita Koloff T-shirts. And we all go, and he just looks at us with this look that says, dicks and walks away because he did have to drop the fall that night uh, <laughs> but that's Philadelphia and we're going to be getting to that in a little bit yeah. well, I can't believe I can't believe there were Nikita Koloff t-shirts still in 1987 um, oh hell yeah man I, I, I still can't believe at the Wrestlemania I went to that they tried to turn Steve Austin heel in Venom of Texas <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, yeah. that, that is one of the most retarded things ever to a back on yeah Stadium shows? Uh, no, not uh, no, not for wrestling, unfortunately. No, the, the closest I ever got was that my friend went to SummerSlam '92, and um, he always oh, tell yeah. he always tell the story well, on the Coliseum video of SummerSlam '92. Um, it, <laughs> they uh, they go like a, they show like the people queuing up, um, queuing up to get in, and uh, my friend, um, I, uh, I still know him now, um, bent down to tie up his shoelaces. At the moment, the camera goes past, so you can see like his, you can see his mum and his brother, but you can't see him because he's not there, so he's not on the Coliseum tape. But um, I do, oh, I do yeah. think, it's, I do think it's amazing. I, I always, I always, I still always say that it's amazing. That SummerSlam '92 crowd is one of the, one of the things that Vince doesn't get enough credit for. It's amazing that they sold out. Well, not sold out, but they got so many people into Wembley to watch wrestling. That, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, is that, what, what was that crowd? Eighty thousand, seventy. That's a big, big. Crowd. Yeah, if you believe Meltzer, it's the it's slightly uh, bigger than WrestleMania three. That is one of the biggest wrestling crowds, and it happened in 
in London as well, which is like, mm-hmm. in, in, I, I swear now, by a year after that, there wasn't a single kid apart from me anywhere. <laughs> or like, like they, we, wrestling was just completely dead within a, within a year after that. Yeah. But, so yeah, it's, it's amazing how they managed to do that. But um, I, I did want to, on, the, on that subject, um, I have been to a number of uh, arena shows, um, as I'm sure all of you have been, mm-hmm. uh, been to. And, and I wanted to say that um, I don't actually think wrestling is, works very well in a stadium setting i i think the sweet spot for a big crowd is msg about twenty thousand, or the checker dome about twenty thousand, or any of those sh- or maybe even slightly less you know the bigger bigger uh, atlanta you know the omni fifteen thousand. i think that is the sweet spot for a big crowd for like a big show and that once you start getting to the big football stadiums or you know baseball stadiums it's too big for like I don't think wrestling's designed for a crowd that big. Would you agree? Well, with one that? of the big things that yeah, well, one of the big things they say is that uh, when you say you watch these big stadium shows that are outdoors, you go, "Well, the crowd's dead." They're not dead. Uh, yeah. Their sound is going up and out instead mm-hmm. of bouncing off the ceiling. Yeah, you know, with your bounce, you know, what's off the walls? That's a big thing. Yeah, uh, yeah the rest is always like John Cena yeah. says he'd much rather. Work in a twenty-five thousand building uh, just because you can hear the crowd and actually be able to uh, work a better match because of that. Yeah, well, I mean, our uh, you know my my buddy uh, Chad and all of the place to be guys they went to um, they met up they 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 met each other for the first time uh, at the met you know at WrestleMania twenty-nine MetLife. Uh, I watched the, I watched that uh, like everybody else on TV and it just sounded hor- it sounded horrible. Like you couldn't. It it was like it felt like the crowd was de- was completely dead for that. That that's one of the worst uh, offending shows I've ever seen for crowd acoustics. That WrestleMania 29 show. Did you watch that, Pete? No. You, you yeah, didn't... I saw it. You saw it, Kelly. I mean, it yeah, sounded oh, it was just uh... for most of the matches. But the funny thing was for CM Punk versus Undertaker, the crowd was noisy and and hot. So. Maybe yeah. it was just Triple H, like the matches. Like, obvi- I don't think uh, the crowd was too into Triple H and Brock Lesnar at all. No, I, no, I think they were acting. Nor the out. main event, really. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, but, you, you know, but you've got John Cena versus The Rock, yeah. and you can't hear a pin. Yeah. You can hear a pin drop. It's yeah, like, how the hell does that happen? Yeah. Um, yeah. What What are your thoughts, Pete, on uh, on stadium shows versus like the big arena show? I hate stadium shows. They always, even if you put 30,000 people in a thing, that's a big crowd, but you hold 60,000, so it still looks empty. Uh, you look at, I mean, like, you, some of the shots, like, look at some of those old Texas stadium shows. You see an angle, and all of a sudden it's all empty on one side or an empty yeah. air, and, and, and then you don't get the crowd reaction because it's impossible to mic that big of a crowd uh, to keep it interesting. I'd much rather uh, watch it. Watch it in twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand dollar seat indoor arena. I think outdoor arenas are just bad. Well, bad for atmosphere. I was I was going to ask you a question about WrestleMania Nine. Everybody hates WrestleMania Nine, of course. One of the worst WrestleManias. It's a sweet. I it's a it's got a fun place in my heart because uh, I watched the video over and over again when I was a kid. Um, so you kind of always retain some sort of fondness. But what do you think about like? places like that Caesars like when you think of all the different WrestleManias um, for example 
WrestleMania 9 always sticks out in my mind because it, it's so different, you know? That, like, mm-hmm. um, it, there's a real sense that this wasn't in any old arena, that it was in Caesar's Palace. I quite like that. Do, do you not like uh, kind of shows that have a specific kind of feel um, in that way? Well, they also themed it, so they had a big theme to it. Yeah, it was, it's very nice. It yeah. Very nicely I mean, themed, they... themed around the arena. You don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, like Pete, I, I think the shows where, yeah, you can see all the empty seats and stuff, that's a turn-off. And the lack of the crowd heat with the, the newer shows, it seems. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when I saw WrestleMania three for the first time, I was just blown fucking away by that. Just I couldn't believe how many people how many, how many people there were. It just was awesome. WrestleMania six yeah. and Skydome was cool too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can kind of take it or leave it nowadays. By the way, Kelly, that's the most Canadian you've ever sounded. I was just blown, <laughs> I was just blown fucking away. <laughs> was, um, you know, when I was a kid, the one when I like when I, I'd be playing with my brother, like uh, action figures or whatever. And um, when I'd always announce the guys. I'd always announce it. Um, the Hooser Dome. That was the one that captured my imagination. <laughs> and now in the Hooser Dome. That was my. That was a big. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, yeah, for a guy who's been to stadium shows, I'd rather watch them in an arena. This uh, yeah. one, because you 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 have an idea. I mean, even though you probably got that vibe from WrestleMania, I had a great ticket. I sit down, man. I'm fucking far ass away. It's hard to see the action. You end up walking at the damn screen a lot, as opposed to the ring. And so, kind of, I could have done that at home, uh, and then then she had been a lot cheaper because I wouldn't have drinking as many beers and ate as much popcorn uh, as I did uh, there and stuff. You know. What about all those Dallas shows, Pete? That you watch? That you know, all those stadium shows in Texas. Do they yeah. have the same problems, do you think? You know, the outdoor... Yeah, I brought, I just brought, I brought that up. It's, uh, it's outdoor. The crowd goes... Uh, the sound goes up and away. There's tons of empty seats. Like, like even though like, they, they were drawing 50,000, 40,000 for, I mean, at, at the Dallas Stadium. I mean, that's like... Oh, it's like 80,000 people. So it's only half full. Uh, yeah, I mean, so... world class, world class to how to shoot it. Because they shot it with, you know, where you saw, like, a, like the ringside crowd... So ringside, yeah. who that old man, the old man in the jumpsuits, who was at ringside for every show at the Sportatorium. Yeah, they had him there in his red little jumpsuit, and you saw that field crowd. And I don't know, maybe they mic'd it better, but all the parade of champion stuff sounded loud, you know, to me. Well, I, I saw a really like nothing show TNA. They came to London. I went because it was my chance to see Hulk Hogan. I'd never seen Hulk Hogan live um and i i went we were in wembley arena roof on uh, maybe eight thousand ten thousand people there but th- those fans blew the roof off and i, I reckon i heard about that I, I reckon people watching on tv must have thought holy shit that london crowd was 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 hot i mean th- th- to be honest it was terrible that show uh and you get that many people in a you know in a london arena they'll they're just going to make their own fun but I think the acoustics of it, you know, if you've got the roof on, it captures the sound. So it sounds so much more, you know. And so if people are genuinely popping when, you know, and anybody's going to pop when Hulk Hogan comes out, right? At a live show, any live show, he's going to pop a crowd, right? Yeah, um, it's a lot of songs, oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so it's gonna sound, it's gonna just sound good on TV. So, um, does MSG have a, MSG's got a roof, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, I, it's, I, middle, it's in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. It better have a roof. Yeah, I really, I, last time I was in New York, I really wanted to go to MSG and I just didn't have anything on in the time I was there. I was like, uh, I wanted to just watch anything there just to say I've, I've been. So. What's funny my- is, is I, I, in all my years of everything, I never saw wrestling live at MSJ. I saw the Grateful Dead there more times than I could even recount uh, and various other things, but I, I, I never managed to go to wrestling there. It, it, Did, it's one of those odd things. Does the Spectrum have a roof? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Spectrum's got a roof, too, yeah. Okay. Until they blew it off in the <laughs> second half of this show. <laughs> all yeah. right. Yeah, that's one thing about Philly and New York. I mean, you, you can tell. Like, I, I'm living in Houston as long as I have. I've seen a lot of shows in Houston, and we have a reputation of being a hot crowd too, uh, and, and stuff. So, I, the crowd makes makes the matches so much more interesting, more entertaining when you're watching it. Like this one, we'll talk about the Philly later. But yeah, they were super. That's, they were about as hot as I've heard them on since we've been watching this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's uh, let's uh, let's get let's get on then. Thank you very much for that, Kelly. Much appreciated. Um, let's uh, and I think at some later date, maybe we can talk about um, some of the differences between the pre-pay per view super shows and the actual transition to pay per view, and if anything actually changed there. But I, I think that's a because this felt very much like a pay per view show to me. And I couldn't really think of many differences between this and and a pay per view. Um, but well, see, I, I can because we didn't watch the whole card, but there's, there's a lot of fat on this card. <laughs> like I don't think Torquemada would ever have been on a card uh, on well, a pay per view. I think I'd, about the early WrestleManias and all the uh, fast matches you could just fast yeah, they, yeah right right the Jake, earlier earlier ones I totally agree Jake, I Jake Roberts learned. versus George South. Wells. Yeah, no, George Wells. George Wells. Uh, George Wells. Sorry, George, George, George South. George South is a George South is a is a good wrestler. Well, compared to George Wells. Uh, like George, WrestleMania George, Five is just one long fast forward. Has, uh, has George South yeah. ever had a WrestleMania appearance? No. No. <laughs> right. The next phase, new wave, dance crazy, anyways, it's still rock and roll to me. Everybody's talking about the new sound Funny but it's still rock and roll to me Let's get let's get on um, <laughs> Bruno Sammartino taking on Larry Zabisco Is this the last time? This is yep. it In a steel cage And as we go into this match There is an awesome banner That uh, the crowd have here We want blood Bruno uh, and um, Foley gets all over Bruno as a great promo, as uh, as you mentioned before. And um, well, if there was ever a match where you didn't want these two guys on commentary, as this one, uh, Pete, <laughs> take it away. Yeah, I did at first. I did a breakdown of everything, but then I kind of like everything was most rinse repeat. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wing it a little bit. Pretty much, it's Bruno kicking Larry's ass. Larry would try to escape the cage. Uh, that's when, uh, uh, well, we see Bruno's just beating his ass, and Larry's just taking a lot of punishment into the cage, bouncing around. He's actually doing a really good job pinball. 
pinballing for him and stuff in a more in a more like uh, real way as opposed to like just like Super Bowl way. And he's just getting his ass kicked. And then you know, then eventually he'd do like a ball shot, and then Bruno would sell a little, and then Larry would beat his ass, and Bruno takes the cage too and went into the cage, and then. Larry would try to escape, and then Bruno would stop him. And the next transition, then Bruno would be on top and beating his ass some more, but with kicks and stomps and throwing him around, throwing him to the cage. And then Larry would do another shortcut, like a like a uh, an eye poke or something, and he'd be on the advantage for a little bit. And then Bruno would take an ass kick, and and then Larry would again would try to escape the cage, and then Bruno would stop it, and then that the transition would go back to Larry. I actually kind of thought that was kind of uh, flawed for me because it seemed like every time Larry went for the cage, Bruno would stop him, but then then Bruno would be on be in control after getting his ass kicked. So it seemed like that was the that was their clever way of doing their transition spots. Uh, I dug how Bruno uh, was was bladed his arm and <laughs> his selling of that thing was great. Um, the cage this match was made perfectly for the cage setting where it wasn't. They weren't working holds. They were just punching each other, kicking each other, putting yourself into the cage. That's what the cage match is for, is uh, to use the cage as a weapon. And these guys were doing it in spades, and it made perfect sense. Everything, all the logic stuff made sense in that sense. I just had problems with, I wish there were transitions would have been a little bit more um, more memorable as opposed to ball shots, eye shots, uh, and then trying to skip the cage. Um and but I can't I can't tell you much much math about Bruno selling of that arm. It was just so good. And then uh, Larry he gets busted open. He's bleeding. But finally, pretty much the hero he makes a big entrance, leaves. He pauses. Pretty much tells Larry to fuck off, and he walks out the victor. Bruno San Martino, your winner. In uh, a great moment. Then then all of a sudden Larry's trying to get to him to raise his arm. I thought that was I, I never really. Remember that it just doesn't, you know, they never played that hard up ever about Larry was looking like a, I don't know if Larry went into business for himself or that was the plan. I'm kind of curious. Um, mm. I also liked how how the Golden Boy uh, goes to uh, to uh, raise Bruno's <laughs> arm. Bruno's still selling it like ah, like you hurt my arm, you dumbass. Uh, I really enjoyed the match though. Yeah, I enjoyed the match. I wouldn't call it an all-time classic or anything. But I but it paid off in what it needed to do, and I, I I'd call it, I'd call it like a good three and a half star match and stuff because of, I thought it was worked perfectly on how it needed to minus some of the uh, transitions and stuff, which some people might I might be being a little more harsh on them than other people, but then um, some people might be more harsh or they might find other flaws. But I, I really dug the logic of what they were doing in the match. Johnny, uh, to your point. Uh, I remember when you know all you ever saw of this feud was the one where Larry hits him with a chair, and then this. And I was just always thought, I'm like, you know what, match kind of sucks. I always thought it kind of sucked because I didn't see any of the other matches or the buildup that we've been watching. Now the match makes perfect sense. They're in this cage. They've wrestled around the horn. They've wrestled scientifically. They've brawled. They've done it all. It's in the cage, and they're, you're exactly right. They're just going to throw each other into the fucking metal. And it makes sense as a full piece. 
and that and I think that makes the match better than I used to think it was because it's a piece of a puzzle that makes a greater picture and uh, the uh, yes Bruno's arm I mean the only other guy I've ever seen blade his arm uh, is is dusty so that yeah. was uh, and I was at a show where dusty blade his arm so bad they had to take him to the hospital apparently <laughs> cage match against Arn but uh uh, but I digress. Uh, and yeah, I, I laughed so hard. Here comes Skolan to raise his fucking Bruno's arm. It's like, ah, what the, what the hell's the matter with you? What do I pay you for? You're fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 I would say my desk and I. I, I <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, but, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Was Larry going into business for himself? Hmm. They play because because he comes over at Bruno and Bruno just turns around and starts walloping him, yeah, and he yeah. and, and he just and he takes it he takes like like the shots of the head stops raises his arm and throws it down and walks away and I'm going wow that's a cool ending to where he's like okay you win mm. no fuck you win and it was yeah, a even neat was little bit and Foley was yeah, caught yeah. off guard with it too. Which is funny because they're all like, oh, I never saw that before. That's all on that uh, first Coliseum video, by the way. And the hand raise is on there because I know I, I knew I've seen it before. <laughs> and uh, Larry falling down the stairs. That's always who's doing, co- who's doing commentary on that? Can you Vince. It's Vince. Vince. Right. It's, it's just Vince. Right. And, oh, uh, I, need to, I need to find the Vince version of this because... Um, uh, Kelly, we we uh, th- th- of all the matches. So, Johnny, was it 1985 uh, Vince or the 1980 Vince? Well, no, it was actually it was actually oh, no, it, it was actually 2086 Vince uh, <laughs> come back on his in, on in his TARDIS. <laughs> doctor on Doctor Vince, goddamn. <laughs> Yeah, you have at least five more shows of living this one down, Barb. If I don't tell you that, <laughs> I'm still I'm still convinced that that wasn't uh, that he dubbed no. over him. No, yeah, we're, we're, we're not we're not even arguing that. We're just like, who gives a shit? That's that's the no. argument. All right, <laughs> Kelly, I care, I care. I, I'll admit, I care. You're I, I, you made him cry. I'm sad like that. <laughs> Nobody liked my poster either. Right before. <laughs> You're right, before Christmas, right before Christmas, and you made him cry. You know what? You listeners of Titans of Wrestling who want to give Parv your condolences about how sad he feels right now, it's an easy way to contact us on Twitter. It's at Titans O Wrestling, T-I-T-N-T-I-T-A-N-S-O-W-R-E-S-T-L-I-N. Twitter, at Titans O Wrestling. Let us know how you feel about Parv crying like a girl just now. Yeah. Thank you. Hashtag Parv's a crybaby. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Our first hashtag. Dear God. Hashtag my ass bloody ass. All right, Kelly. Kelly. Um, Gosh, we, 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 were you uh, we was um, distracted by the commentary here as I was because I literally uh, couldn't get into this match at all. I, I was going to say that of all the matches we watched, this was the one that, that where the commentary didn't distract me as much. They got um, into it. They got into yeah, it. Yeah, I got, I got, got yeah. 
I got cool into it tidbits too. to it, if you ask me. You know, they do yeah. about the tidbits they do are like, you know, they're, they're, they enhanced. I don't want to say yeah. they were enhancing the match, but they, they're interesting enough where it wasn't like taking me away from the match, like talking about a damn sub yeah. sandwich or whatever, yeah. you know. I, 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 by the way, they were, what, the sub sandwich thing was talking about how <laughs> how magnificent Morocco came to the yeah. ring one yeah. time and ate a meatball sandwich while beating up a jobber, <laughs> and uh, it, it's on YouTube and it's the greatest thing of all time. By the way, yeah. well, I, I, I mean, I didn't like Foley talked about Stan Hansen for about five minutes, uh, yeah. and then he well, he's, he's talking about a previous Super Show, so it may, yeah. and then he. And then he it talked gave about give a texture. And then him and uh, him and Cole argue. It was actually reasonably entertaining because uh, at one point uh, Cole asked Foley if he'd ever worked out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He and, got hot. And uh, that was Foley, right at the end. Yeah. Foley got hot. Um, and they did this during the kind of closing stages, so it was completely like it was. It was like oh, and then Bruno walked out, and he was like oh, the match is over. So I I may need to go back and watch this with Vince. On the commentary instead. Yeah, I think the thing is for me, Barman, is that I have seen this match so many times. This is the one I've seen a million times. So to, with the different commentary of them watching it, kind of like we do, except we're far funnier than uh, Michael Cole. <laughs> and uh, and I, I love Foley, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, it was cool because the the Vince, you know, original Coliseum dub over is. It's okay. Yeah, I'm inspired, though. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. It like it, it, it doesn't affect me. But I, if you haven't seen it before, I can see where Colin Foley is very distracting. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. This one I got into. Maybe I think it speaks for the the match and then for the feud that you know you were into it and it was a good. I thought this was a pretty good way to blow it off and end it. Yeah. With just a balls out brawl where they're kicking each other in the nuts and and slamming each other into the cage and Bruno blading his arm and yeah it was there was no you know attempt at any wrestling it was just a brawl when Bruno I love the was finish. done. Some guys yeah. have criticized this over the years because you want that dramatic finish, but Larry in the corner and Bruno stopping to go over and give him just one more kick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then perfect. walk out and go, ah, you. Yeah, well, it was done with it. I liked it. I liked it. It was a good give and take brawl, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not the, the super classic match of all time, but it was uh, it was a you know, pretty good way to end the feud. And to go back to the, the Larry going into business um, points, I think that's definitely talked about a lot. I've heard sort of or read stories where, you know, Larry... I, there was maybe a, a thought of him going babyface or something. I don't know. I think he sensed that he didn't know what was going to happen now that the feud was over. And, yeah, he, he kind of took a shot there to maybe start something because his his um, his run at, on top was, was over. So yeah. he was uncertain of his future at this point, maybe. But, yeah, I, I kind of want to lean towards that it was unplanned and that Larry did go into a business for himself there. But or it could have been, like, his, his way of saying thank you to Bruno yeah. uh, in public while while yeah. keeping the face of, like, oh, I hate having to do this. 
But yeah. in real life, it, it, he's like, "Thanks, dude, you just made me." Yeah. Did, did they? Yeah, it was his. It's his, it was his moment of like Sting on Sting at the Great American Bash '90 kind of moment where it just yeah. felt kind of out of place. Yeah, yeah. Did did they know this was going to be Bruno's last match here? Did he say I'm going to retire or? Uh, it wasn't his last match. Technically, it's the last match on the set that we have. Well, I know it's, he comes. It, it was his last match for quite some time. Like yeah, he, he has like a match in 1985 again. He's, he's got, got a bunch. Actually, he's got a bunch yeah, in 85. He came yeah. back he to help his uh, son. I think that was part of yeah. the deal. Was he was going to come back? They got his son on. They give him a little push. Well, that's how Vince Vince sold it to him. Because in the the middle of Hogan drawing giant money, he won more. And he said, well, come back in. It'll help David. And it didn't help David. Uh, But the the best Bruno comeback was uh, after the Savage Steamboat stuff. And uh, Tito Santana against uh, Savage and Adonis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh my God, that stuff was so great. But, yeah. but for, for all intents and purposes, he's done here for for yeah, like this is a kind he's, of he's, unofficial. He's done for us. But did he, he did wrestle in 1981 at least one match. I know the first match ever at the um, Meadowlands for yeah, WF. Yeah, he wrestles uh, George Steele, and that was That's his last right. match until um, 85. But he has a big falling out with Vince Senior over money. Um, in 1981-ish, I guess. Um, he learns that for years Vince Sr. was uh, skimming money from him. Uh, I'm not sure the whole story, but at some point in like 81, Bruno learns that you know the books were kind of being cooked and, and he wasn't getting as much as he should have been over the years. And he, he, he's gone until 80, late 84 when... Um, Vince Jr. brings him back as in the peace offering is to uh, like has been said to help out David get David over. But he th- there was no announcement of a retirement or anything. I don't think so. He still he still remains on commentary until it's very whenever eighty one sometime eighty one unusual that. I d- I did like like imagining that this is a kind of retirement of sorts though. I did like yeah. I did like the very blue collar way that he went about it. It's like. He was leaving the ring, metaphor like through the door, metaphorically, <laughs> like as if he's just put in a good shift, and his work is done now. I quite, I quite Man, you're, you're yeah. deep. Yeah, There's I, some yeah. poetry. That's good. I, I know. Yeah. I, I quite enjoyed that. All right, so we we'll, we've, we've come to the end of the uh, uh, Shea stuff here, and um, to the end of the show. So, shall we um, have, think about? Match of the night. So look, we've got Bruno, Larry, uh, Hogan, the tag match. I'm going Bruno, Larry. Anyone else's? I'm assuming. I can't imagine anyone else picking any of these others. Most it's it's got to be Bruno, Larry, isn't it? Yeah. But I will say, all in all, four matches, not very good. None of them. Would you agree with that? None of them are particularly brilliant no, matches. Nothing essential, no. Yeah, I, like I, I said it's one of those. It's, it's the bigger the venue, the giant stadium. Usually, the matches tend to not be as great. It, it just seems yeah. to happen that way. No, don't yeah, get I think it. this full hard had probably like twelve matches. So I don't. I think a lot of it was that 
see a lot of these guys just didn't have time to work, uh, really uh. work a good match either. I mean, then again, I mean, I don't, none of it, nothing on paper. Uh, I remember that the, there was the Guerrero Fujinami match. I thought was going to be really good. It really, it was pretty blah. It was an okay match. Uh, and nothing else really stood out that didn't make the, the cut. I know you guys are upset about not being able to see Patterson work Kamada. I, I'm <laughs> curious on what he could get out of him, but, uh, uh, For me, the dream match is Dominic Danucci and Baron Cicluna. I thought so. <laughs> well, what, what, what we said was gonna... the biggest, the, the longest feud in wrestling history. Exactly. On the biggest stage in wrestling history. <laughs> on one side, Baron against Cicluna. <laughs> on the other side, Dominic Danucci. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Um. Well, well, Kelly, didn't we soon on, on an upcoming yeah. show? We're gonna do basically like Titans of Wrestling does undercard and jobber stuff, just for you, <laughs> Kelly. Right? <laughs> okay. It's basically like Tor Kamata <laughs> taking on who was it? Who was he? Who was it? Pat, Pat Patterson. Patterson. Right. Yeah. So that 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 would make this an unspecial show, right? Or I mean, <laughs> oh, that's 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 brilliant. That's brilliant, exactly. Pete. Titans of Wrestling unspecial. We're gonna do it. <laughs> the the unspecial show. All of the all of those Danucci matches we've missed. We're gonna go back and have a look. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. There's some some gold on this undercard. I'm looking at it right now. You, you, you have to put together a, a card headlined by Danucci. <laughs> Danucci Hogan, MSG, January 1980. There's your main event right there. <laughs> did you see how I'm going to get a you, Hulga Hogan. <laughs> did, did you know how it was really funny? He was training a little too hard. But Kelly, Kelly can memorize the date. You just can't wait to watch that Danucci Hogan, man. Oh, I know. I haven't watched it yet. I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> you uh, son of a bitch. I give you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the unspecial I can't wait for that okay yeah. <laughs> and remember to give us your thoughts about the unspecial at uh, Twitter at, at Titans O Wrestling that's a T-I-T-N-A T-I-T-A-N-S-O-W-R-E-S it's Titans O Wrestling drop the G uh, any, any, any hidden uh, yeah. any hidden bulldog brower gems out there that we haven't <laughs> picked up on oh there's there's gotta be yeah <laughs> no there doesn't <laughs> uh. <laughs> so MVP for this it's, it's rather difficult isn't it Bruno Bru- it has to all oh, Bruno yeah, on the promo promos and, and, yeah, and they, they kick ass yeah. I, yeah Bruno Larry's a close second on those promos though I thought there were some pretty yeah you know what I'm gonna if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're gonna have to <laughs> on the promos I'm gonna with Larry with his whole nobody cares about Dominic <laughs> you know who cares he's so exasperated with this old man and his old friends and, it's uh, 1980 Bruno it's 1980 exactly it's <laughs> 1980 Bruno you and so. your cronies your yeah your Skoland and your Danucci and your, <laughs> fuck you I'm the new model <clears throat> uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going Larry here awesome okay and I'm yeah, I, I already went Bruno, um, but Larry's right up. I'd like this was the best Larry we've seen. Is he, is does Larry stick around for a bit? 
Yeah, yeah not he, very long, but he does. He's gonna stick. He's gonna stick around to the next show to the best goddamn match of the fucking uh, desk. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. the thing. That's why you know he wasn't gonna turn babyface because he was feuding with uh, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. And uh, well, worst. Oh, I'm talking about Polish power versus uh. Oh, that. Yeah, no, no, that was, yeah. <laughs> Before, before, right. Match of the fucking show. Worst worker for us. The guy selling shirts at uh, Shea Stadium <laughs> because <laughs> he was not doing his job, apparently. I'm going to go with Vince on that massive fuck up by uh, oh. getting the crowd to chant bullshit. Good call. Would it be unfair to go for Michael Cole? No. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't actually there, though. <laughs> no, he wasn't there. It's hard to blame him, though. Yeah, Michael Cole, people hate him already. I can't imagine. <laughs> you know what's funny is that everyone in the business has nothing but positive things to say about him. They, they, they go, nobody else could do that job under the pressures that are given. Yeah. And so in the business... You know, people think he's awesome. It's one of those differences between fans and people in the business. People yeah. in the business are like, he's the greatest. <laughs> How he can do that is amazing, uh, given what's going into his headset that he has to do. But Jim as Rock, fans, we don't think nice it. About him, yeah. Jim Ross says yeah. nice things about him. Yeah. 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 I don't care, he's shit. Okay, let's carry on. Um, <laughs> no, I, my um, my our worst worker is Hogan. Hogan, it's just bad. Just not very good in those uh, matches with Andre. I'm gonna the go. Fabulous Hulk Hogan <laughs> looks at you, Par <laughs> Kelly. I will not. Yeah. <laughs> I'll steal Pete's uh, worst work and go with Vince doing the announcing. What about the Shea uh, groundskeeper? He uh, he didn't do a very good job either. <laughs> Dust everywhere. He's going to do a better job later after these fat hillbillies fucking tear up his beautiful baseball field. <laughs> All right. So uh, what have we got coming up on uh, the, the next episode of Titans here? Some uh, spectrum goodness, basically. Yeah, the follow-up at the Philadelphia Spectrum is what's coming up next. All right, well, join us uh, again then, and follow us on Twitter, um, etc. Hashtag uh, at Titans of Wrestling. Next time. Oh, wrestling! Titans O wrestling. It's very Irish. It's Titans O wrestling. <laughs> Titans O wrestling. Hey. <laughs> An English man speaking Irish. Love it. Uh, well, well, Titans well, of Wrestling that well, I discovered this wonderful show. <laughs> All right. Uh, until next time, so long for now. <laughs>